0: Welcome in to another episode of the Big Red Louie podcast. Uh, Thank you guys so much for tuning in. The last couple of episodes it has been a great uh, start, ride to the podcast. My name is Jacob Lane and I am your uh, co-host, or one half of your host, I guess you could say. Um, Presley, how's it going, dude?
1: Um, It's going pretty well, um, except for every time I walk outside, the earth hates me and just decides to torture my nose and feel like I have a 20-pound weight attached to my forehead at all times, but aside from that it's beautiful outside uh, we're transitioning into um boring season for most people um except for me me and Ethan who love golf so we got three majors coming up here in the Yo. next 90 days
0: and Jacob's asleep right exactly so, you know, there there is something about this city and this month that is just like what like i have to leave like i can't stay here because i can't breathe my ears feel like they're about to fall off my yep. eyes are constantly watering I sound like I'm holding my nose every single minute of the day. But yet there's something about the other eleven months in the city that make you never want to leave and I don't know what it is. I haven't figured it out yet.
1: So you're saying derby time you want to leave?
0: Well, not derby like, time,
1: but allergy like, season. Yes. yes like, allergy season. And honestly I, I had this I cast this upon myself by just like saying the other day that like, Oh yeah, my allergies aren't even that bad this year and then all of a sudden yesterday just the world decided to attack me.
2: Mother Nature, so
0: yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's Louisville for you. I mean, what are you? I do?
2: I can't relate at all. No, I, I never. Of course not. I, I guess I'm just meant to be here. Is so. there anything
0: that you're bad at? Anything that doesn't bother there's you? Plen- like trust seem plenty like the, like, the most that, perfect human. Being. I wish no, you were no, like five, seven, plenty. two. <laughs> no, no,
2: dude. There's plenty <laughs> of things I'm terrible yeah. at. Yeah.
0: Well, let, let's let's dive right in. And it has been in this, you know, I don't I don't want to call it boring season, but we are outside of college basketball, outside of college football. Obviously, this is kind of your your dead period for the major sports. But it has been an incredible week here in the city of Louisville for Louisville Athletics. You start off, I know it was last week, but you know whatever. This week, last week, you start off with Louisville basketball picking up the uh, grad transfer point guard Lamar Fresh Kimball, absolutely huge piece to next year's team. You know, Virginia wins the championship. You start seeing top 25 rankings with Louisville in the top 10. Then you add Kimball, and now Louisville's being talked about as a Final Four team. And then you roll into this week. Louisville baseball just absolutely hammers Kentucky, sweeps the season series. Uh, they go 18-6 to in Lexington. I mean, that, Louisville just practically owned that game from Hammered beginning them. to end. They yeah. tally them. And then last night, for the second time in two weeks, Louisville softball walks off Uh, winning a game that they probably shouldn't win. You know, this isn't a team. I'm not going to claim like I know everything about softball, but I know that this is a team that was kind of in a transition year under a new coach. In the last two weeks, they beat two top 25 teams on walk-offs, and last night we may have seen the best celebration we've seen here in town in quite some time.
1: Uh, That's right. I mean, I don't know if Ethan agrees. Jacob thinks that it wasn't that exciting, but uh, (laughs) um, do you know the girl's name that jumped into the net? I don't know. That that got me fired up. Like it could have been like croquet or something, and s- somebody just like just walking off and then just jumping into the net and celebrating with the crowd.
2: I, I feel like I do know the name, but I'm in a. It's been a blur. Finals. Finals week, and it's yeah. Excuses. I don't.
0: I don't know the name. I probably should have not gotten on here and act like I knew what I was talking about, and then not know the <laughs> winning, the the walk off hitter's name. Hold on,
2: What's real quick. Are are we not doing what I learned this week, or are we? Building into it, or no, we or can work? sure. Okay, Is there something okay, good you like, learned? I brought, I brought something. Okay, I you was brought ready. something. All right, usually, we do it, but go usually ahead. I don't really have anything. But
0: um, Taylor Roby, that's her name. Right, hold on, Shout out to the girls out there named Taylor.
2: Let me go last though. Let right. me
1: go last. Right. all right. Uh, well, I mean, something you learned this week. Um, I've learned that I need to start taking music next a little bit earlier. That's what I learned. Ethan. There you go.
0: Okay. No, I I'll, I'll go next. I I've learned that the age of 1 is the most underrated bad age. My daughter is turning into <laughs> like they say terrible twos and I'm curious of why no one told me the absolutely horrific ab- uh, noun a- adjective that starts with an o ones because it's been horrible, man. Like literally every night it's just like temper tantrum like I've never seen and I don't know I I don't know how to handle wrap my head around not knowing what to do. It's a very scary thing.
2: First time parents gotta love it. Um, I learned that you can find uh, decently priced hotels near the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Orlando for about a hundred dollars, and you can find uh, flights to Atlanta for uh, around two hundred dollars. So, uh, what are
0: you doing in Atlanta? Are you talking about? Oh, we're talking about Final Four. Oh yeah, yeah. your flight. Yeah. You know that you could just drive to Atlanta. Like it's six, mm-hmm. seven hours. Oh, like- I
2: know, I know, but. If we're gonna win the title, you might as well do it up. You know, Ethan flies to Lexington. Like, (laughs) I'm not driving. What do you mean? Hey, no, no, no. Well, I I drove to Des Moines to watch us play Minnesota. You drove that? I didn't. Well, I didn't drive, but I rode. Yes.
0: See, okay, so what I would do is I would use my star power of Hey, I'm Ethan. I'm always on TV. Let me catch a ride with you to Atlanta, so I don't have to fly.
1: Right. I have like a whole stack of fat heads. Like, (laughs) you know, I'm the golden boy. Like, just let me (laughs) let me in your car.
0: All right, so we talked about the celebration last night. You know, any celebration with Louisville when it when it ends like that is incredible. But let's let's talk about some of your all time favorite celebrations. Like anything across sports over the last five months, five weeks, five days, to the last fifteen years. Is there any celebration that when you when you see incredible things in games that you go that that will never top this?
1: Well, so there, this has been a good week of celebrations. I don't know if you saw the guy. Um, His name escapes me right now But there's a Major League Baseball player Who hit a home run And had the like nastiest bat toss I've ever seen in my entire life And then he got ejected
0: Was that not Bryce Harper? No it wasn't Bryce Harper No
1: no it was literally like three days ago And my man I, I don't know if you Maybe you can look it up right now But my man Hit it like jacked a homer Didn't even watch the ball And immediately turned out Turned around and just like Chucked his bat from like the butt end back to
0: the dugout. Was there a fight afterwards? Yes, there was. Okay, okay, so there was a fight.
1: Yes, All right, so, yes. this so is the Z bat Kansas flip City? was so nasty that it, it caused a like, fight. Like, he turned around immediately and, like, started talking crap to the catcher, like, before he even started so, running.
2: So kind of like the, the Drew Ellis homer? Yes, was, yes, that, but oh, it was... Yeah, that, that was, was
1: awesome. A, I that was remember so, that. Yeah. that yeah. So that was... Okay, so his
0: name is Tim Anderson.
1: There you go, Tim Anderson. And he... There, are you watching the video right now? I will be after this ad stops playing. Okay, gotcha. It it was the most disgusting bat flip we've ever seen. Like it wasn't it wasn't really even a flip. It was more just like a just a chuck. Like
0: it was. The oh, most bad they well, they didn't I show it, man. Yeah, they oh he hits the home run. They will uh, come back to it because yeah, obviously if there's a if there's a brawl here, they're going to show this. This is great radio, by the way. I'm sure they're <laughs> yeah. loving us talking <laughs> about bat flips. Back to the best celebration for me. I always really loved. I know this isn't like a big like moment, big game, but I loved. I think it was Gerald McCoy. Maybe it was Von Miller. It was a defensive tackle who would you no. Know, no, I think he played for the Seahawks. So I don't, I don't know who it was, but he would get a sack and then he'd do like the little like uh, around the, around the town like Squidward with his hips, where he yeah, would yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I don't remember who it was though, but I always um, loved that.
1: I feel like Poe for uh, Kansas City does that too. Whenever he gets, he he does the little, you know, those three hundred and fifty pound guys love to get <laughs> do like the little uh, stick their belly, yeah, out show
0: like a little sexy move, like that's what that's what it always. Do you was. like
1: the Pooh Bear just found honey dance?
0: Like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm familiar with that one.
1: <laughs> will, you, will you have a? 16 month old daughter i figured you'd know the Pooh bear dance i do
0: not know the Pooh bear dance is that is that a thing i don't think that's a thing yeah it is whenever he sees
1: honey yes
0: no i don't think that was a thing anyways ethan favorite celebration do you have one
2: um when i was little i always thought um chad Cinco flipping into the end zone was the coolest thing that's ever happened on the face of the planet so
0: do you remember when he had the sign that he pulled out that said please don't find me (laughs) <laughs> yes that? yes and, and then, then he, the jacket i think he, he got fined yeah right of course he always got fined and then he <laughs> yeah. had the jacket on the uh the sideline what about um uh, what was i don't know the guy's name personally you know this a few years ago the golfer who hit the hole in one and then broke his ankle on the
1: yeah so so I, that was my nomination for best celebration turn worst celebration because when's the last time you saw a pro golfer it, granted it was in the par three contest Okay. The, yeah. Was that last year? Yes, it was okay, last, last year. Last year. All right. So I don't know. I don't know if you know about the par three contest, but so mm-hmm. the a unique thing about the Masters is most of the time, like any other tournament, the players are like prepping hardcore the day before the tournament, so they're like out there like reading greens and stuff. And the Masters, probably the biggest tournament, they just play like uh just a, a par three contest for shits and gigs. And like like the old like the like Jack Nicklaus and Gary Player and Arnold Palmer and, right, right. and, and you know, all the big names um, from years past come out and play too. And then they bring their family and, who, you know, like, and, and let them caddy and carry the bag. And, you know, like, you know, it, it, it's, it's a good time. And this year they let, you know, some of the young guys, or they, they've been letting the young guys like Spieth and Thomas and Fowler play together. So it's fun because they basically just go out there and just try to get hole-in-ones. I'm um, sorry.
0: Were, were you talking about golf? I fell asleep. Yeah,
1: yeah. Sorry, sorry. But anyways, come on. so so, uh, that's setting the stage for you, Jacob, and for anybody what? who doesn't watch golf.
0: Okay, I'm sorry. I, let's, just, let's just talk about this for a few seconds. Yeah. What is it that's entertaining? You watch a tiny know. little ball that you can't see on the television without some kind of arrow behind it or what? yellow beam.
1: Uh, oh, well, yeah. I mean, okay. That, that has changed. And all. then that it's just one it guy fun.
0: after another, after another, after another, after another. You, you're yeah. not sure what they're doing. They've just come out of nowhere. It's already well, happened. Like if How you is watch, that entertaining? If you
1: watch for like 10 minutes, you know like they, they're... Picking up from their last shot. So that, that's the beauty of... So it takes 10 minutes golf. in between each turn? Uh, I wouldn't say 10 minutes, but like every... So things aren't... Things don't always happen live. So like, unless it's like Tiger or like a really big name or somebody's like got a huge lead. Like, players like that, they'll show every single shot live.
0: I can but, think of a thousand things I'd rather do than watch Do <laughs> You want me to name on. them? You want me to name them?
1: Uh, name 10.
0: Okay, I'd rather mow the lawn. I'd rather take a nap. That's relaxing. I'd rather drink a beer without watching golf. I'd rather paint the wall. These are the
2: things wall. you do when you watch golf. Yeah, I was like, about to say. You paint, all you good mow the lawn things.
0: while you watch golf? That's you could. No, I guess you could. Put a TV out A
2: perfect, perfect Sunday. I'd rather go to my mother-in-law's than watch
0: and golf. golf.
1: Which one with your mother
0: in law Nothing, but I don't, like going, I don't really necessarily enjoy going to her house. <laughs> wow, okay. If she's listening, I'm sorry. You're a great mother-in-law and a great grandma, but I don't, I don't really care to go to her house.
1: What if you went over to her house and watched The Master? Over under six minutes that <laughs> <laughs> you'd fall asleep.
0: I, I would probably watch it the whole time because I'd rather do that than well I don't know that's, that was that great TV. Country. Let's put say no so I did watch the final couple of minutes of the Masters because it was Tiger right? right.
1: So let's put the funness of watching golf into perspective right. Okay, okay. yeah okay. please so, explain this. So to me. So a football field is a hundred yards long right right. If you throw a football seventy yards that's incredible right. Go- golfers like Justin Thomas weighs one hundred and forty pounds and he can fly the ball three hundred and fifty yards in the air. So he can hit it. he can hit it like from the, the ball from is, the crunch zone over top of the Traeger Center. Okay,
0: all right, I hear, I hear that. That's impressive, but the ball is tiny. Like, okay,
1: have you played golf?
0: I've played once, and I was horrible. So, well, yeah, could barely what, hit the ball off. The that's tee.
1: what makes it fun because it's the hardest. It's, it's the hardest so game hard. ever invented. Okay, all right, the, but the but that, that
0: doesn't answer my question of why is it entertaining to watch on TV?
2: It's the personalities. It's it's. Yeah, it's 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 of individual. them hitting. a...
0: I mean, it's putt putt. Like, I mean, yeah, like Phil, it is not Phil you got Phil
2: Mickelson you got Tiger. What are they doing? That's Ricky got personality
0: Fowler. on the on the golf course. Come what on. are they doing?
2: What? It's the culture of it all. They're all they're all buddies, and they all, all they like,
0: do is walk. Half of the time you watch golf, it's just them walking.
1: No, okay, you. I don't, I don't know what golf you're watching. I mean, if you watch the last five minutes, you probably saw a Tiger walking up the the last fairway. But right. But I mean, it's it's what like two minutes in, in in between shots. It typically it takes. Like if you're just me and you just went out and played a round of golf, it'll well it take you like 30 minutes? But like if me and Ethan went out and played a round of golf, we'd play a hole in eight minutes. Are
0: you calling me slow? Or,
1: no, I'm just calling I'm, bad. I'm terrible, but I, uh, I still love it. But Yeah. No, I mean, and, and that's the thing. Like you don't have to be good. Like, you know, in basketball, if you hit 50% of your three-point shots, like that's, and that's, you know, great. If you hit 50% of good shots in golf, you're going to shoot a thousand. You know see No, so I no,
0: I, I hear more, you. I hear no you. So there's a lot fire. of skill to it. But again, mm-hmm. you're watching a little tiny ball that you can't see. They're literally not showing any continuous action. Like it's just they're jumping around. People it's, are on different holes. It's all it's continuous. Different. And
1: then once you get to like Saturday and Sunday, it's like, 510 guys that they're focused on. All so. right, ladies
0: and gentlemen, I am sorry for boring you <laughs> with this conversation of a sport Anyways, that is I'm the d- slowest sport of all time.
1: I don't even know how we got to this conversation.
0: Well, we were talking about greatest celebrations and then yeah. we dove into the guy that broke his ankle but and then we were talking some about of Tiger the Woods. best
2: celebrations are in golf. In my are, I I think golf. Give me two. This, give me two. The sport right, of golf Jordan. I think has the coolest culture. Yeah. like with the fans and Agreed. And, and the players. What, they, like, they
0: can't talk. What do you mean? There's culture with no, the fans. No, that's not true. You know,
2: they can't talk where they're hitting. Like, for example, for example, if I was a fan, I'd be like, "Woo!" Like when, right? when Molinari, uh, went, went into me, the water. Give me first name. They, he was the, the,
1: Francesco Francesco Molinari was winning the Masters for the entire. Oh, is this tournament. The, is this
0: the guy that the crowd booed or like cheered when he yeah, when the he ball hit in the water? That's yeah. so
2: cool. I mean, yeah. obviously, like sucks for him, but like. That's awesome that he hits the ball into the water and the crowd goes nuts because they know Tiger's about to take the lead. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so cool. Like,
1: And Tiger hadn't even been – he was in contention sort of like last year, but like top 15. So Tiger hadn't been in contention in a tournament like that in a long, long time. Um, So for him to come back from his last Masters one being 14 years ago to to coming back after – what like 15 surgeries like he had he had at least one surgery per year right like 15 right years. he was out he for like
0: five years and he would play like two days and he'd be out right,
1: right. and then huge scandal um loses all of his sponsorships right loses except all for his nike
0: right aren't they the ones who apparently like i didn't
1: mm, want yeah. kind of
2: get rid of their whole golf brand yeah so nike to?
1: nike golf here's the impact of tiger woods nike golf doesn't exist anymore how crazy
2: is that right so
0: i will give you the impact on the world of sports the world of golf, it, it You know, Tiger is transcended upon the entire sport. Like I can name maybe five golfers, and of course, anytime he's doing something that is close to winning or or doing any kind of comeback, of course I'll tune in. Mm-hmm. It's Tiger, right? You want to be able right. to be a part of a huge national conversation, um, but the rest of the sport, I'm sorry, it's just boring. Like th- there's wow. just nothing to it that's entertaining to me.
1: I don't, see, I feel like golf has become so much more exciting because of Tiger. Because like yeah. all the guys he's competing against now. They are all. They all grew up watching him, and they modeled their games after him. Granted, there's still a few guys out there like Phil sure, who sure. kind of came up with him. But like when you look at Justin Thomas, when you look at Jordan Spieth. Is when you look Sergio like,
0: Garcia still a golfer? Yeah,
1: yeah Sergio Garcia yeah. won the Masters. Team. What about yeah, Jim Funk? Is he still? Is that his name? Or Jim Furyk. Fury. Fury, okay. Yep, um, Jim Furyk is. Yeah, he's he's kind of getting into his 50s, so yeah. he's more. Like getting closer to senior. tour. What about tour John Daly?
0: I know he pulls up with the tra- the with the tractor or the trailer, or whatever pulls up in the. So the, he's doing other stuff. I hooter. think he's
1: doing senior tour stuff now. Yeah. So the, then that's another fun thing if you so, really like
2: golf. No. So. Give,
0: so give me fifty John Daly's and I might tell you it's a little bit more entertaining. <laughs> right. Well, for example, my, my who favorite, has personality in golf? Tell me one golfer.
2: Easy. My favorite golfer, Ricky Fowler. He's not even. I mean, he's a pre- he's a pretty freaking good golfer, but he's never. I think. Been, never won a major yeah, he's the a, best player to yeah.
1: never won a major, yeah, he's never won now a major. surgery at one
2: one he have you not seen him in all the commercials and stuff? no, like I know who cool, he is he's
0: the one in the e s p n commercial that's he's a cool he guy orange juice into yeah, his yeah. coffee because he's colorblind like i I know yeah, who yeah. he is, right I know who a lot of these guys are, but again, if you're like not winning and you're supposed to be one of the best, like help me kind of
1: No, so like i I've watched Justin Thomas meet I don't know like we we're the same age, so we came up together, played golf together in high school. Followed, okay, followed so that's in, pretty in cool. College. No, I'll oh, give you that. That's pretty cool. awesome. I yeah. do not know that. Yeah, well, he—I played at Melee. He played at but like to put in perspective, how good Justin Thomas Are is. Are you better golfer than him? Heck no. No. You <laughs> <laughs> almost said something. He, no. He no. Heck no. Obviously, I'd say no. that tongue in cheek we, we no. know you're not. Um, but um, to put it in perspective, my last high school tournament I ever played in, I came in second place, and he beat me by eight strokes.
0: Is that a lot? Yeah. Yes. See, I he don't was, know the he story was seventeen. Of- he was
1: seventeen years old. Had just returned from playing in a PGA Tour event as an amateur, and came back to play um, in a tournament where he broke the course record by two. All
0: right. So let's let's uh, let's yeah. table this golf Crazy. conversation. Anyways, if your audience, if you're still here, thank you, you. Know. <laughs> thank you for continuing to tune in. So, I know that that is a snooze fest, right, right. but let's so, go from the right. slowest sport on earth to possibly the fastest sport on earth. Let's jump in. Uh, to Louisville basketball. It's been, you know, what, five weeks now since the season ended. We've had quite a bit of time to kind of uh, reflect on the season that was and, you know, kind of look at what went right, what went wrong. Uh, you, you know, the season ends literally not even before happy hour of the NCAA tournament. The cards literally are the first team on opening day outside of the first four to lose. You lose in such a fashion that, like, the way that the end of the season went, where you know anything that could go wrong went wrong. A, a team that comes in, literally one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country, comes in. They hit six, I believe, in the first half, or five in the first half, I think. You, More you, than that, it, it was. I think they hit six because I think that the number was that their average per game was five the whole season right, long. Right,
2: right. And then they freaking hit. That and then the
0: you first. go into halftime thinking, okay, we're down by a few points. Like they're not going to continue to hit threes like this. The second half, they come out and they literally just run little out of the gym, they can't keep up, and, and the season comes to an end, and there's just so, so much disappointment, and not in the way that the overall season went, right, because I think that we can all say that we were extremely satisfied with what we got compared to what we thought we were going to get. Not satisfied in the way that it ended, not satisfied and. Um, you know, where the card's lost. Because, look, we're Louisville, right? I don't care what scandals happen. I don't care where you come from, what your coaching situation is. Like, we expect his fans to win, and we won. We won a lot of games. Chris Mack proved to to most fans. I think there's still a small, insane amount of fans who are like, well, what about David Padgett? Like, <laughs> tell me how, how that would have went this year. But, you know, Chris Mack coaches this team into two huge top 15 wins in North Carolina, Michigan. Uh, you Michigan know, State. You, Michigan State. Sorry, um, you should have beat Duke. You had Virginia on the ropes twice. Like you had some really, really good games where you compete with really nine scholarship guys. I will say eight because I don't think towards the end of the season that you got much from Quan Four. Um, so now here we go. Cunningham is gone. Four is gone. Uh, Quan Four, Akoya Gal, you know, still on the fence on whether or not he'll be back for another five <laughs> or six years. Um, and you bring in this, this, this recruiting class that we've had so much, um, energy behind so much talk about, uh, number eight in the country. What, like, what, what, what are we excited? Like, what are we thinking about the next, like next season? What, what are your expectations? Like, what, what are you kind of expecting? Where are you at right now as a fan? Like, can, like, what, what's going on mentally with you guys, like with basketball?
1: I mean, what, what stood out to me this season was that, um, Regardless of the poor finish, um, I think that Louisville was on the cusp of being a top-tier team. Um, I think that they just needed maybe one more score, um, maybe needed, you know, th- they got very stagnant offensively as the season progressed, um, but what's what stood out to me was that they were they were really close. I mean, they were up, what, 23 on Duke. I mean, they were, yeah, don't want to talk about that again, but, you know, leading Virginia by 10 and a half time, like... The list goes on and on. Like they, they played really well, played really good basketball against some really, really good teams when they weren't expected to do so. Um, the defense was like 50th or 60th in Ken Palm going into, the, the, Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency going into the conference play, um, improved tremendously during conference play, ended up being a top 20 defensive team. Um, and they're doing all this with basically um, no expectations for them at all. Um, most people thought going into the season if they made the tournament that it'd be pretty much a miracle. Um they didn't get any production out of their only returning starters, so there's a lot of positives to take away from the season. Um I just think that, you know, there's there's a lot of question marks going in, in the next year, but there's a lot of um, you know, optimism that that can be taken away from this season uh, because of a lot of the talent and depth that's going to be coming back and a lot of the a lot of the
2: new t- uh incoming talent as well.
0: What do you think, Ethan?
2: Yeah, uh, well, there's, there's a lot of reason for optimism. Uh, for one, we have our coach. No question about it. Anyone that tells you otherwise or is still on the fence is crazy because of the reasons Press was just saying. Um, we d- were destroying Duke. I don't mean, have to repeat all that. But um, all those things, yet we still had so many limitations. There were so many things that were working against Chris Mack, and he still had this team, like Press said, on the cusp of being one of the top teams in the country. Um, we, well, how many scholarships again? Eight, nine, seven, ten got, ten seven, I mean, ten. Ten guys, ten ben
1: scholarship players. Akoya Gal pretty much never played. Quan Four was a non-factor towards the end of the season. VJ King was unreliable. You basically had seven guys who truly were like true scholarship, high-level Division One mm-hmm. players for the entire season.
2: And that's and I know Mac made it a point to to not let this be kind of a narrative. But let's be honest, too. They aren't really his guys still. Um, right. No, absolutely. there's no there's
0: no denying that. Like, any coach that tells you that – let me put it this way. What Tom Crane said – I don't know if you guys remember this in midway through the season. Like, these aren't my guys. Like, I didn't recruit these guys. Right. Like, that is real. That's what the coaches feel like. That I mean, he was handed a roster, and you do your best with it. And I think that's what was so special about this year was you literally saw a coach come in – with a few pieces, right? Like we we knew that, you know, you get you get a couple of guys like Darius Perry, V. J. King, um, you know, Jordan Mora to an extent, Steve Enoch's eligible, Malik Williams comes back. But like those guys, you know, weren't proven their freshman year by any no, means. No. Not one of them, you know, they all had consist you know, games where they they kind of showed up and you say, Oh, there it is right there. But Chris Mack pulled the best out of all ten guys on that team, and absolutely quite frankly like if we're being honest, it just wasn't good enough a lot of the time to mm-hmm. compete with the teams in the ACC I mean you had the national championship team in the ACC you had a uh, you had two sweet sixteen teams in uh, or uh, you know a two a sweet sixteen team in Virginia Tech you obviously had Duke who went to the elite eight mm-hmm. um, Help me out here. I mean, there's plenty of other teams that I can't think of. North Carolina, who was an Elite 18. Virginia Tech, sorry. Virginia Tech, yeah, who was a Sweet 16 team. Like, you had all the possibly one of the most stacked fields in the ACC, and you still figure out a way to win 20 games to finish seventh, I think, is what they finished. Not to mention you had Florida State. I should have thrown that one in there. And, like, you're left to wonder now as we head into the offseason, like, okay, he's got seven new players, right? Seven new guys that he went out and he handpicked them. He brings back potentially, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes. He brings back potentially the kind of the cream of the crop of the guys that were on that roster that he kind of took over. Um, and you say you pair that together, another full off season of Chris Mack, another full off season of being around him, getting used to his system. We, you know, we know this week that he turned down the foreign trip that was Louisville was scheduled for because he wanted to kind of put his handprint. On this team, he didn't feel like they were ready and you know enough to go out and do that. And when you bring all of these things together, you can really say, like, you know, pending Nora and Awara and Enoch come back, we have a chance to go back and make a run to the Final Four in year two of Chris Matt.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and, and um, kind of going back to, to my previous point, I mean, you look at this year's schedule. I mean, they played the who's who of college basketball this year. I mean, in my mind, I know in the early 80s, Denny Crum used to schedule crazy like you know scheduled crazily i don't even know if that's a word but just just i think going out to the west up, coast playing at ucla playing um I don't, I don't i can't even think of i know they they used to play at, at ucla a lot or they used to play home and home right, at ucla right. they used to play some some of the best teams of the day you know the nc states and that that sort of thing um but you look at this year i mean you look at the sweet 16 duke played duke and virginia i mean played both those guys uh Virginia twice. Right. Michigan State played them. Minnesota played them, lost to them. Uh Tennessee, uh, Purdue. Well, actually we didn't play Purdue. Virginia, like y- y- there's just they're they're all over the bracket. There are Marquette, t- Indiana,
0: Kentucky. I yes, mean the list goes on and it's on, it's on. It's just, teams that you yes, played. Right.
1: Right. So I mean, you look you look at this year's schedule and the fact that Mac got twenty wins out of that. I mean, granted, you know, when we're looking at only having five losses going into February um, you know, you might change your tune just a little bit and change expectations. But um, if you look at the, the season as a whole, if you didn't look at, at the schedule kind of in a chronological order and just looked at the wins, look at the losses, you'd be like, yeah, it's pretty much, you know, what I expected or better than I expected, you know. So, yeah, um, I, I think that a lot of people were disappointed because of the finish of the season. But I mean, you're looking at like your seventh guy, your second guy that off the bench is Ryan McMahon. Right. Sure. Like. It's, you know, that's that's just the reality of the situation. That's what he got out of. Right, exactly. And so
0: we head into 2019, 2020. We, we, we kind of knew going into the off season, like, all right, we've got six great freshmen coming in. I'd say maybe two of them are ready to kind of, you know, be heavy contributors. Actually, I'd say only one of them is ready to be like a heavy contributor from day one. And Samuel Williamson, who's probably a one-and-done type of talent, But what's missing out of that group is a true point guard who can come in and step in day one and run the show. We all know that the NCAA tournament really, uh, the teams that are successful are teams that have experienced guards. So you knew going to the offseason, all right, Mac has to figure out a way to finagle one more scholarship out of this group. He's got to go out. He's got to get a a point guard who is experienced, who's tough, who does everything that Chris Mack has talked about all season long, just like CeCe did. But but really, you need somebody that's more talented, somebody that's got more... uh, uh, what, what you know? He he's got more tangibles than CC, who's an maybe like a high level Division One guy, right? Exactly. And out of nowhere, within just a few days of VJ King being announced as de- declaring for the draft, Jordan Mora being declared, and Stephen Enoch, you know, three scholarships are still up in the air. Mac adds a guy just like this, right? So you find out that you land this guard who nobody knew anything about uh, from Saint Joseph's and Fresh Kimball, uh, six foot guard you put on the tape of him man and you are just salivating within minutes because you see what he has skill-wise is what was missing from last year's team and that's somebody who can attack off the dribble, get into the paint, knock down threes, really kind of pull that defense and and make them be honest to the to not only pick and roll but you know being able to pull up off the dribble how big of a deal is it that Lule was able to land this like do you do you think it makes a difference in final four run? Do you think it you know it doesn't really do much in terms of Ceiling Darius Perry is still the guy. Like, where are we on the scale of super excited to like? Well, you know, it's just another player.
2: Well, I I was joking about um, us going back to the Final Four and going to Atlanta at the beginning of the show, but I mean honestly, if, if you if you look at last year's team, what what are what what were our limitations? What was holding us back? Um, it was the inability to have competitive practices because, like like we were saying, uh, you have. Basically, Stephen not going against Akoya Gao. God love Akoi Gao. Nothing against him, but he's about what six eight, and, well, and his and, knees are like fifty nine years old. And, yeah, right? yeah, and I mean, you're just not going to have competitive practices when you have our starters going up against walk ons and guys that. I mean, I don't have to go any further, but um, and now you have freshmen that are going to be pushing guys at literally every single position. Um, the the freshman guards are going to be pushing Darius. And they're going to be pushing Nor if he comes back. They're going to be pushing Steve if he, if he comes back. They're going to be pushing Malik, um, and that's huge. Uh, everyone talks about how when Montrez came in and he instantly just lit a fire under the front court. I'm um, kind of scared some guys away. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah. and I think that's going to be huge for this team because competition makes everybody better. Um, Absolutely. And, and they also so so next weakness didn't really have. Um, enough reliable scoring options and i think we just fixed that um with samwell and our grad transfer coming in um and then next thing didn't really have a point guard that could drive the ball love cc but he could not get inside the paint um and i think that's changed now right um so you look at everything um that's changed and all the guys that we got coming in and the the pieces and weapons that we're going avail- to have available, that Chris Maxon have available compared to this past season, it's got to make you excited. Um, because, like we were saying earlier, he's got his guys now. They may be young, um, and fans do need to remember, while this has been a great recruiting class, it still ended up being about number eight overall, which is – actually typically the type of class that Patino would get. Mm -hmm. Um, But, as we were kind of talking about in our Big Red Louie chat the other day, I mentioned, Patino never really, I mean, he hardly would ever get a samwell type player.
0: Never. No, there's there, and the time time that Patino was here, you had you had three guys who kind of fit that bill recruiting class wise. And all three of them underachieved incredibly. The first Mm -hmm. one being, well and there's more than that, right? So you have multiple five stars, multiple four stars, but the main ones that stick out are Samardo Samuels, who was the number two player in the 2007 or 8 class. Mm-hmm. Stayed for two years, went to the draft, didn't get drafted, and had a short career. He was, he was, career. He, was right, he was fine. But yeah. as the number two player in the country, you expect – He wasn't know,
1: dominant. He was good for 10 and 8. Right. Right. And,
0: so next one you move on to is Wayne Blackshear. He was very much on the same level as a Samuel Williamson, a guy that you expected to come in and set the world on fire, gets injured early. Things just kind of, you know, don't go his way throughout his career. He has a great career as a cardinal. He wins a championship, but he's not who you expect him to be. The third one, possibly the most disappointing, and that's VJ King, who just, you know, I, I think that with Patino here and the way that Patino kind of broke him down and was preparing to build him back up, it would have been different. But you just never got the VJ King that you expected. And so Samuel Williamson, I mean, he looks like he is the real deal. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna find out real quick how good of a talent developer Chris Mack is. Um, And whether or not you can really kind of put him on that same level as Patino or maybe you say he's better or worse, you know, but he's going to have to prove it with with a roster like next season when you come in with so much talent, so many good freshmen who, you know, can contribute. But are they going to be able to take this team to the next level, which is a championship caliber team?
2: It's going to be interesting to see how Chris Mack plays freshman here at U of L because people say, "Oh, well, you know, Chris Mack didn't really play freshman at Xavier." Well, he wasn't recruiting players uh, at Xavier that he's recruiting at Louisville. <laughs> he never had a Williamson. He never had a Gay. Exactly. Right.
0: No, but what I will say is, when you look back at Chris Mack, he, the way that he plays freshman is different. Every team is literally different. Like he assesses what he has coming back, what he has coming in, and so his best class was the team two years ago that had Paul Scruggs, Elias Harden. Tyreek Jones, like he had a top ten, I think he had a top ten or twelve was, class. Yeah, it was top ten. And he brought him into a roster that had Trevion Blewett that was a lead guard. You had J.P. McCura, and so those freshmen didn't play lead roles. And that's kind of what I expect this season, except Samuel Williamson, because there is a need at that two guard to step in right away from day one and provide a second score Obviously, all pending on if Nora comes back, which that's the next question. You know, we know that Jordan Wara left for the draft. We know that Stephen Enoch left for the draft. Obviously, look, we can talk about B.J. King declaring for the draft, but let's call it what it is. The the man put his name into the transfer portal unofficially, right? I think Mm -hmm. he put Louisville on notice that I'm entering the transfer portal. I'm going to go in, and I'm going to get some feedback. I'm going to hear, you know, I'm not very good. I've not played very well, and I'm going to come back motivated, but I'm probably not coming back to Louisville. To me, I mean, you look at B.J.
1: King – announces that he's going to the draft and less than 24 hours later look gets a grad transfer. Yeah, I, I think so that somebody, you could very quickly draw leaving. the line in the sand of what happened. To me it sounds like Chris Mack it, has been doing his homework. He's been recruiting guys. We know that even going back to January he was extending offers or at least reaching out to, to right. grad transfers. Um, and so now you look at, you know, he probably had, you know, fresh Kimball in waiting. You know, this is his guy. This is the guy that he wants. As soon as you know the door opens like he immediately closes it again like I, right. t- t- to me um you know picking up Kimball, i mean go, kind of going back to that a little bit i mean i think it's a huge deal i mean for 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 two reasons number one you know you add a scorer who's hungry you got a scorer who's who's eager to prove himself at the highest level um you have a proven leader um he was elected captain of the team uh, every year that he was at saint joe's um, and then you have you have your third go-to scorer, which is something that Louisville, I mean, since I've been alive, I can't remember three guys that were go-to just certified bucket getters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you have with Fresh Kimball, with, with uh, Samuel Williamson. And if Jordan Ward comes back, which, you know, it, it's looking like it's more likely than not, um, then you have, you have three guys that can just absolutely get a bucket when needed. Um, and I, I think maybe the most important of all, you have a guy – um, and Kimball, who he's not only a scorer, he's a distributor. And know? he's a leader. And he's a leader, right? right? So and I think that he's willing, um, you know, as a guy who's wanting to take the next step and get to the next level. I think that Mac might look at him as a guy that's probably going to score like 10 points a game at Louisville instead of 16 or 17, whatever he had at St. Joe's. Um, and maybe be, instead of being like a four assist a game guy, be a six assist a game guy. Um, because if, if he is ultimately the guy who wins the starting job in the point guard position, he has guys who who are scorers now. You know he has Williams. He'll have a Gahan, He'll have possibly Enoch. So you and, and then obviously you know we talked about Williams and Wara. I mean that's that that all of a sudden you're going from a team with not very many options to a team with almost too many options. Right. So I mean that's that's a good problem to have. So um, to me, the, picking up Kimball, you know it's it's not a guy that we really had on our radar. Um, if you've kind of, kind of been reading the site, you know, it's not even a guy that we really even spoke about very much, but it's a guy that seems like after watching his tape, after seeing his stats, after seeing everything that mm-hmm. his coaches say about him, he fits everybody around him says about him, like he is the perfect fit for Mac's system.
0: Exactly. And I and I think all along I had this feeling in the back of my mind of, you know, obviously there's a couple of guys, you know, big time on the radar that Mac reached out to initially. Whether it's Rajon Chuck Tucker, the, the kid out of Arkansas Little Rock, or Christian Keeling, the, the big scoring guard out of Charleston Southern, you just had this feeling it was going to be a lot like last year, at least I did, I shouldn't say you, but I felt like it was going to be this feeling of we find out five minutes before this point guard commits that it that he's coming here or that we're getting a point guard and we're not going to know who it is. Like I just had this right. feeling all along. Right. And with Kimball... Like, you know, I keep up with the transfers pretty frequently just because of the fact that, you know, I I cover Louisville. I write about college basketball in general. So, like, it's kind of, you know, a big thing for me to kind of know where players are going. But I didn't even know this kid who he was. I'd never heard him before. And when you put on the tape, you know, obviously you can find out only so much from highlights, but you see a kid who is going to literally provide everything that was missing from last year from that point guard spot, which is the ability to be able to get into the lane you know, being able to take guys off the dribble without question, kind of in a way that's very Peyton Siva-like, just quick, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just all of a sudden he's gone around you, be able to pass the ball. I know that his statistics last year weren't high in terms of n- high number of assists, but you have to consider, you know, I-, I don't know this off the top of my head, but I've read this, that he was at the shooting guard position, and when you look back at his stats earlier in his career, like he was more of a passing guard. Mm-hmm. So that it exists. And then defensively, he's a dog. Like mm-hmm. he's going to lock up the opposing – uh, team's point guard, like that's what he's going to do.
1: I mean, everything that you look at this at Louisville last year that was missing, you look at somebody who could just lock people down defensively. You had Darius Perry, but he was inconsistent. You right, had, you couldn't
0: keep him on the field or on the right. court because you knew that he was going to probably come in and turn the ball over.
1: But I mean he he did a, he did a really good job. I will say this about Perry, he did a really good job towards the end of the season. I believe from February on, he only had eleven turnovers. That's crazy. Mm. Um, so basically after the Duke game, I, I believe it was, he he had basically. Hardly any turnovers, um, but you had a guy that was unreliable. I think that's a better better way to describe Perry. I don't think he was a he was a guy that, um, I think he came in really feeling it coming off his freshman year because he finished really strong his freshman year. Um, I think the NIT he he benefited most from from playing in the postseason his freshman year. Um, and then you then you look but you look at this team last year though you didn't have a guy who was consistent on both ends of the floor. At, at, at any guard position, to be totally honest with you. Right. And you didn't have anybody who could initiate the offense. Yes, Kristen Cunningham was... Um,
0: you nobody besides Cunningham. Right. He, like, he was. You had he nobody.
1: was a, Cunningham was an above-average passer. Um, he was a great scorer. He was a guy that you could turn to to get a bucket. Um, I think he's a guy that within the first 10 games of the season next year that people are going to realize, oh, wow, he had a huge impact that we didn't realize. And he's a guy, I mean, they almost lost a freaking, who was it, Bobby Moe, like, the worst team they played all year. They almost lost to Bobby Moe when he was out. So, I mean, you you think about oh, oh, yeah, Robert but, Morris. Yeah, was, I'm sorry. I, I'm like, sorry. What, I what mean, is
2: can by 20? No, but no. They totally. struggled scary. the whole it game. It was scary. It I was. think you've
1: only won, by, won that game by like six. They were down the entire game without without coming. Right, but right. point being, when you don't have somebody who can initiate the offense, um, you know, Chris Mack's system is is predicated on offense, which is something that Louisville fans are still trying to get used to a little bit. I miss the defense. But but when you have a system that's predicated on offense, you have to have people that can initiate the offense. And that's what you get when you bring in Fresh, and that's what you get when you bring in Williamson. And all of a sudden, you have a guy like Wara, who this year was the star. He can kind of fall back more into his comfort zone. He doesn't have to be launching 10 threes a game. He doesn't have to be initiating the offense and trying to crash into the lane, um, which is, isn't necessarily his game. You know, he's a, he's a spot-up shooter. He's a He's a decent passer um and he he's a guy who can kind of create his own shot but that's that's about it and he was forced to kind of step out of his comfort zone and do more than what he's going to be expected to do at any level of the game he's never going to be a you know like a a high level nba player he's going to be what he is um and so to put at least two to three more guys on this team who can kind of help him out should he decide to come back all of a sudden you have you know, four or five, six scoring threats, and you have every single player on the court who can shoot the heck out of the ball, and I think that's that's crucial going in, in in the next year. Right.
0: So if you're Chris Mack, you know it's very early. You obviously don't he he even as a coach doesn't know what he's getting his hands into with the with the roster next year. I mean, obviously he knows what the guys are, but until he gets them on court together, he doesn't know. But if today you're Chris Mack, you're sitting in your office and you're like, man, I got to put the starting together, the starting lineup together. Where do you go?
1: Well, I mean, I, I'm looking at. Um, I mean, right now, if, if I think about the lineup, I think A, best-case scenario, and B, worst-case scenario. Right now, to me, best-case scenario is that everybody comes back. I, I think King's gone. To me, I, I, I've, so, so that's where the scholarship comes right, from. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so in best-case scenario, King's gone. Nothing against King. We love him. We're going to miss him, but we want the best for him. Best-case scenario is Wara and Enoch return. Starting lineup is Kimball at the one Williamson at the two you have war at the three Sutton at the four and Enoch at the five and then you're bringing Perry Williams and Egehan e- e- off the bench mm-hmm. um, and then maybe mix in a little uh, Ryan McMahon as well worst case scenario is everybody leaves and then you have Perry Kimball Williamson Sutton and Williams which is still a fine that's an okay lineup um, or maybe Egehan instead of Williams depending on how his development goes but that to me that that's what you're looking at what and, and then from there, I mean, if that is the starting lineup, it could be completely different because that means that you had two guys that leave, which means that you're replacing those two guys with either a graduate transfer, right. or a, Um, you know, a late freshman, which I don't not I've not seen anything where there no, not I don't think freshmen, there's been anything
0: so. on that. I think anybody that they add at this point is going to be probably a graduate transfer, right? But for me, I think that the lineup is exactly what you said. I think that where the questions kind of come in are. Does Williamson start? Does Mac have enough trust in him to start him from day one? I think maybe he goes Perry. You know, he could potentially go Perry at the two to start the season, but then you have a really small backcourt again. You're, right. you're looking at the exact same scenario as last year. What about you know Wara Sutton? What, you know, who's the four? Who's the three there? You know, Wara played the four all year last year. Uh, but that's because they really didn't have a whole lot of physicality down low, you right. know. So well, or, or you know, I don't. I, I'm not gonna act like I know why that was the case. I think Sutton was more of the four in that situation defensively. Um, but what do you do there? Does Enoch jump in and get that starting spot back from Williams? Does Williams, you know, stay hold of that and kind of develop that post game that you expect? But for me, I think I think it's kind of you see the exact same lineup as last year, but you insert you know Williamson as in the two spot and then Kimball is the one. and I right, think that I that's think your best lineup. I it's, mean, it's it's, it's the
1: same the same front court. I think that that sudden
0: struggle towards the end of the season.
1: We haven't talked about that very much, but he kind of struggled his last ten games. But I think. As a senior, you have a Dwayne Sutton that, yes, he struggled, but at the same time, it's the guy that you want to struggle at the end of the season because that's the guy that's going to come back and be working his butt off in the off season and the the guy that's going to kind of kind of be your grinder, um, and kind of the unsung hero of the team again. Um, but I mean, you, you could you could mix up this lineup a hundred different ways. You know, if you have if you have, um, Wara and Enoch return, I mean the lineups are endless and then and then what you can do as well is kind of adjust to your opponent which is an option that level had last year um so for example you know if if you still have ryan mcmahon on the roster um that you know that that there there could be a situation where we're just getting getting pushed outside the three-point line and just can't Mm. get it into the paint for whatever reason you know you have a guy who can can shoot from deep so there's all kinds of different weapons on this team
2: Yeah, I I agree with everything you guys are saying. Um, Here's one thing that I think not enough people are talking about. Um, This is something I think is going to be huge for this team. Um, And I love Ryan McMahon, but um, when we're subbing our starting guards out, instead of putting McMahon out there to guard, you know – RJ, the RJ Barrett of the ACC. Right. We're gonna be putting in six five David Johnson, six four and a half Josh Nickelberry. Right. I'm mean, all all of these really talented, may, maybe a little raw, but good sized guards that have talent, and uh, I, I I think it's gonna be huge. Instead of having to put in you know kind of undersized guards that, I mean, let's be honest, have no business guarding you know the top guards in the ACC. If we're being mm. if we're being hundred percent honest, I mean, it's sure. Sure. Um, and like I said, that that's going to do wonders um, for this team because we literally saw um, throughout the season Mac would take McMahon out on defense and put him back in on offense late in the games mm-hmm. uh, and put and put four out there for defense. Uh, he's not going to have to do that this year. Um, he's going to have plenty of options um, and, and a lot more reliable defenders and ball right. handlers than, than we did last season.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, the biggest thing going for Mac right now is the just the continuity. you You get back your you know five four of your top five scores. The only one you lose is a graduate transfer for point guard. You bring in a brand new recruiting class where you you know you've known that those guys are coming in. There's no changes late. They've been committed since the early signing period. And then you keep your entire assistant coaching staff together, which is a huge, huge win to keep Luke Murray here, to keep Dino Gaudio here, to keep Mike Pagies here. I think this is probably the last year that that happens. I think from now on, you're going to see Chris Mack probably start to build his own coaching tree. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think we have to consider that we we could be singing a different song here in the next you know four weeks with the with the deadline to return back to school from the NBA draft being May 29th. We could be talking about replacing again for the second year in a row three of your top four scorers. I mean, there's a very realistic chance that this team could have to replace up to 10 guys or up to nine guys next season. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not the worst thing in the world, but when you go from being potentially a Final Four team to once again being in that same boat of, okay, well, we just need to make the tournament again here. It, it changes things a lot. And that's not on anybody. That's just the way that rosters turn over. And maybe you can get a grad transfer guard like Rajon Tucker to, to kind of glue in there and kind of hold things together. But more than likely right now, Louisville is banking on the fact like they they have to be, the coaching staff has to be just, it has to. I, I would honestly think it has to be keeping them up at night of what could be the difference of a Final Four in two players making a decision to come back.
1: Right. And I mean, if you, if you return Warren Enoch, then all of a sudden – I think the storyline going into next year will be um, experience versus young talent, um, which is something you see a lot of these teams like Duke, who kind of was the best team in the country, fizzled. Um, you've seen Kentucky over and over do this where they get some so much young talent, but they don't have the, the, the depth and the experience to kind of lead them all the way in a tournament. Um, when you have those two come back, all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, in late game situations against Duke and North Carolina or, you know, whoever they end up. It, it, it end up playing next year, Virginia, you know, whoever's in the ACC, Big Ten tournament. Right. So, um, I I think that um, that there, there's a potential of having that, or you could have the potential of just a complete rebuild once again. I mean, if you have nine players come in that are new, that that's that's, that's the amount a of huge players. undertaking for the task. That's I mean, the, for the entire coaches. team from this year.
0: You have to you have to teach a you know a brand new set of kids. I mean, they'll have 13 scholarship yeah. players compared to 10 last year, but you are literally teaching almost an entire team everything new and all over again. And I think what I go back to is you look at the last uh four national championship teams in Virginia Villanova twice in North Carolina, all of them had a couple of different things, right? So they had continuity, they had experienced players, and they had a mix of young talent. Yep. That, and that is what Louisville has next year. They've got a it's great a head coach. That is the recipe for winning championships. No matter what anybody tells you about the one and done players, the stars, the teams with experienced guards win tournaments here. And you're bringing in a kid. Okay, look, th- here's the difference right here. This is the big difference between Cunningham and Kimball. Cunningham came in with no tournament experience. Mm-hmm. Kimball's played in the tournament twice, dropped yeah, what, balled f- out. Dropped twenty against Oregon in their first round game. I think mm-hmm. they lost that game. And then uh I believe second, it was in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, yeah he, second round. And then another another game where where he plays against Villanova and he drops like twenty five or he drops thirty. I, I can't I can't I don't know off the top of my head which one of those is which. So you're getting a kid who's been there. He's done it. He knows that he's won a tournament game, obviously to advance to the second round. He knows what it takes. Whereas Cunningham didn't have that experience, and I think, you know, I think I don't want to say a lot of the blame at the in the Minnesota game can be falling on him, but he he said so in one of the radio interviews where he did where he we just didn't we just didn't know what to do like we didn't have enough. Right. And I think that having that guard who is experienced, who's now hungry to be at a one of the top programs in the country in the tournament, chance to win a Final Four if you bring everybody back, it's going to mean all the difference for Louisville. And I'm legitimately, I'm not saying this because I'm a fan. This is a team that I think the rest of the country is going to start talking about as we get closer into next year of there's a legit chance this team wins it all.
2: Oh, I mean, that's literally what the, it's not just the fans saying this, the coaches are, that's the pitch right now mm-hmm. from the coaches. Um, And, and I've been kind of on the boat all year of accepting the fact this, this is the last season that we see Jordan Nora play in a Cardinals uniform. But, um, I'm not the greatest expert on NBA draft or the NBA for that matter. Um, Jacob, you might know a little more about this, but it seems like it's looking more and more like he's coming back Well, I, you he, know, it's not looking good for him right now. So I think
0: that when you talk about the NBA draft and the way that the ways and the cycles go is you have guys coming off the NCAA tournament who are the talk of the draft, right? So right now that is Jared Culver. That is, of course, it's Zion Williamson, it's Jim, it's John Moran, it's the, the, the guys at the top are who are going to be talked about. But you really don't know somebody's chances until two things happen pre draft workouts start going on and teams start getting a look, you know, a, a first hand look at what these dudes look like. And the second thing being the NBA combine. I think the key to Jordan's draft stock is going to be whether or not he gets invited to the combine. Uh, I wrote an article last year about Dangadel and Ray Spaulding and the statistics on what the combine mean for players being drafted. And your odds of being drafted are significantly higher if you're invited to the combine. And I- I've said this over and over again, and I and I will continue to say it. Selfishly, I want Jordan to come back, right? Obviously, because I think he still has, you know, one – I loved watching him play. He's been my probably my favorite player in the last several years. So just the way how smooth he is and the way he shoots the ball. Louisville hasn't had an electric shooter like that in quite some time. Um, but when you look at what he does and you look at what the NBA is doing now, right? The NBA is all about two things. It's about space. It's and it's about shooting. What Jordan does well is he shoots the ball. So whether Jordan comes back for another season and he plays as a junior. Um, and he improves his scoring he improves his defense he you know he shows improvement in the areas of where he gets feedback you know depending on if he comes back or not his stock is not going to rise that much higher based off of what he does and whether it whether he gets drafted at seventeen or he gets drafted at forty five or forty seven like what's gonna get jordan Nora on the floor is the fact that he can shoot the ball and that skill is not going to change from this year to next year that's a skill that he has so if he shoots the ball well at the combine don't be surprised if he leaves like He's going to probably end up getting a promise late in the first round, maybe early second round. And if money and, and playing professional ball is what he wants, then that's what he's going to do. Um, but I do think that he has a lot to improve on. I really do. I think that, you know, defensively he showed some bad regression towards the end of the season. Mac talked about he can't slide his feet. He's not very fast, and he's not, you know, the most athletic guy. He's not the most strong guy. Um, and then, you know, his ball handling, his shot selection, like all of these things like are not NBA ready. They're just not. And if you bring him back, I mean, I think we're talking about a potential guy who is being talked about next next year as the potential ACC Player of the Year.
1: Right, and I think that um, I, I don't remember who was talking about this this past week, but um, you think about like this year when you look at like say Duke and North Carolina were playing, like the you'd be watching Sports Center at noon and you have Zion Williamson on one side of the screen and I'm who, uh. Name a player for North Carolina: Cam Johnson, Kobe White, Kobe White, Kobe White, White, White whatever. Yeah. So, so year next was. year, like that's that's Louisville, if Jordan War comes back, like that's that's Jordan Ward, like he's the face of the ACC next yeah. year. Um, I, uh, there's not unless uh, his name escapes me, the guy that's go, probably going to UNC, um, uh, Cole Anthony, yeah. Cole Anthony. I, I think that Trey he Jones might be did come
2: back to Duke. That is I right, don't know about that. right. That's he'll probably be a face too. So,
1: but so but you, you're looking at at Jordan Ward basically being one of the top. Three poor faces in the ACC. I think he is the guy next year. Right.
0: I'll be quite honest with you. If he comes back, he is the guy that everybody's talking about because there's not anybody returning to the ACC next year, nor is there an in- incoming freshman who has the potential and the level of a RJ Barrett or Zion Williamson. Like there's the ACC is literally. I'm not even kidding you, right? They are emptying out. Like, it is oh, yeah. really a purge of talent. Florida State loses everybody. Virginia is going to potentially lose everybody. Virginia Tech loses everybody. Duke loses everybody, you know, or, well, not everybody. Duke is actually who gets the most players back inside from Mobile. North Carolina is losing a lot of talent. Yeah, you lose your big really seniors. So there is a real chance next year to be a top two ACC team. There's a real chance that Jordan Ward could be the guy in the ACC. And for him, maybe that's what brings him back. Maybe I don't I don't know. I don't know him well enough to say.
1: <clears throat> I think you if I'm Jordan Ware's agent right now and he's getting feedback that he's probably a second round guy, which he, it seems like he is. Um to me, he could get potentially more exposure and all of a sudden be a guy that's rising into kind of a, a lottery pick type player um should he become the face of the ACC, maybe score 15-20 points a game next year and be on one of the top 10, 15 teams in the country. Um, so I think that you're looking at I, I, I think that you're looking at a guy who, I mean, it, it's a big, big decision to make and you can't fault him for either because you look at, I mean, the guy that played in front of him last year, Dang Adele, started a game in the NBA this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray Spalding, you know, played significant minutes in the NBA this year. Granted, not for very good teams, but, like, the example that's before him, I mean, he played, did he play with Donovan Mitchell? Who is that no no Jordan Jordan Warwick no, came in no, he was the year he, after he was helped I'm sure Donovan Mitchell helped recruit him and now Donovan Mitchell yeah. is one of the faces right. of the NBA right so the example being set before him is that you know even if it's not in the best scenario I mean, Jordan, or Danielll was a free agent and he started a game this year like you know I mean so <laughs> that know, that's that right. stuff that you have to consider exactly him
0: as and, well. and also you know as much as people don't want to talk about it and the average fan may not know about it like You know, the G League is becoming a more formidable option for players to develop. Going overseas is becoming an option. You know, Jordan obviously has international experience playing for the Nigerian team. Playing in the NBA, like if he doesn't want to go back to college, like there are other options, whether people want to talk about those are good options or not. It's all about whether or not he wants to be in school, like whether he wants to come back and be a student athlete or whether or not he wants to be a professional. I think that that's what we're going to find out. And obviously, that's pretty cliche because obviously those are his two choices. Sure but like that that's what you'll know like if he if he's not on any drafts or if he's not being talked about as a first round pick like you'll know okay college just wasn't for him and that's okay like that's that's okay for them if they want to decide same with Stephen Enoch who's 22 he's going to graduate in May he's got an nba he's got an nba ready body he's got an international ready game being able to shoot like the guy has done what he came to college to do like okay yeah he only played really one full season of college basketball he played two years at UConn where he was just kind of an an average role player yeah right but like if if he makes a decision to play professionally you cannot blame him because he has the chance to make thousands and thousands of dollars doing what he loves and yeah he's probably not NBA ready but he's got all the intangibles that it takes to play somewhere and get paid for it
2: And, and here's the thing press kind of stole my thunder a little bit on this but uh did you just call him
0: Prescott I said, no. oh, I, said I said press. Oh, I thought you
2: said Prescott. I said press, kinda. So, oh, is that uh, what we're yeah, calling yeah, yeah. him now? We could call him Prescott, Sir Prescott. Yeah. Oh. Um, Just call
1: me Press. It's on every seatbelt buckle.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, Ray and Dang did not get combine invites last year, right? They did not. Yeah. No. So, no wait, wait. 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 No. 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 I'm pretty sure no. they didn't. So we were they all, didn't. They fans were all fans so, are up in arms about it. So,
0: but Ray got. I believe Ray got invited later. He got. That's he was right. an alternate, and when then came back and got invited.
2: Yeah. Um, but but still, they I mean, Ray barely got an invite. Dang didn't get an invite. Ray was one of the last picks of the draft. Ray, uh, uh, Dang didn't get drafted at all. And like you guys were kind of saying, um, they they both have started and done fairly well. And they're both probably going to keep their roster spots. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's I mean, if you're if you're if you're Jordan or you got to look at that. Those are two guys that 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 you played with last season. And let's be honest, Jordan's better than both of those guys. Mm. And, no no doubt. And, no doubt. And he probably has a better NBA career ahead of him, and, 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 or at least potential.
0: And you hit it right on the head. He's better than them talent-wise and potential-wise, I even think. But, but he has a game that fits the NBA more yeah. than they do. And say he's a late first rounder, early second rounder, or even mid-late mid, mid late second rounder. Like yeah. He's going to be ending up likely on a team that's playoff bound where he can come in and he can play seven, eight minutes a game, and he can provide a lot of things that a, a lot of these dudes going to be drafted can't, and that is just dead-eye shooting. I and mean, that's what the NBA thrives on right now.
1: Think yeah. about just put Jordan War on the Rockets, or put Jordan Wara on the the
0: Rockets would love to have Jordan War. Yes. Yeah. The Thunder would like, love to have Jordan Wara. The the Warriors would love that. Like all of these teams mm-hmm. will want to, to a kid like that because of how he shoots. The rest of the things, yeah, they're not there now. But give us two years. You can go play in Santa Cruz in the G League. You can go play in and some of these other small markets in the G League. Like that's okay. But what you can do is you can provide us five to seven minutes every couple of nights, and you can hit three or four, th- you know, three pointers and change the the uh, change a series, change a game, mm-hmm. change the directory of a season if you can come in and play when somebody's injured or something. So like, yeah, he might not be ready, but the dude has a NBA ready a NBA style game. Let's right. just put it that way.
1: He, he is he is what he is. I don't think that anybody looks at Jordan Warren and says he's a future NBA star. I think that people look at him and
0: say that he is a eight to ten year NBA role player. Right. And nor do I think that he's gonna come back and mm-hmm. be defensive player of the year in the ACC. No. Like uh, you wanna talk about like he needs to come back and work on his defense. Okay. All right. Dang Adele came back for his junior year to work on his ball handling and we saw it got better, but it wasn't great. Like no. it wasn't great by any means. And it's going to be the same thing for Jordan. Like, yeah, he might marginally improve marginally improve defensively. He might become, uh, you know, I think a lot of it with him is going to be mental of like, okay, I'm not shooting the ball one well tonight, but I'm still going to lock in defensively. I think that's probably more of it. But like, do we really think he's going to become this transcendent defensive player? No. no. If that's going to happen, it's going to happen in the NBA. It's not going to happen in college. Like, mm-hmm. he's going to develop that skill because he plays for a coach who values defense. And if he wants to get on the floor and and make a career in the NBA, he's going to be a better defensive player. Like, that's what it's going to take for mm-hmm. a guy like that to become better defensively.
1: Does it concern you at all thinking about? So say say King does leave. Like we're kind of assuming, saying maybe there's an eighty percent chance that he leaves. Say Wara comes back um does it concern you guys at all that it could be kind of like a Montrez Harold junior year type of season where you I don't know if you guys remember but especially like when they got into conference play they kind of played like a ranking eating schedule that year my man was just
0: jacking up threes that was that was, was was that Michigan State loss in the Elite Eight Montrez year or was that what was that year uh, they lost in
1: the Elite Eight to, to Michigan State. I'm well, yeah, pretty we, sure yes, yes, yeah, did, they did. Terry's they did. sophomore they did. year as yeah. yes, well. Yes. yes.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think that a big thing with with Jordan coming back is if he comes back, I think that there's there it's gonna change because not only is the roster gonna be different, there's going to be more people who need the ball in their hands, Lamar Kimball is gonna be one of those guys, and Sam Williamson is gonna be one of those guys. Like Jordan's going to have to share the scoring load. As crazy mm-hmm. as that sounds, like because Dwayne would get buckets on his own last year. Like You don't call plays for Dwayne Sutton. For Sam Williamson, you're going to have to call sets for him. That's going to take away from Jordan Wara. So I see what you're saying where does coming back worry you, but I think that the way that the offense is going to be built out and the way that the system is going to actually work because you have depth, you have players there. Like You don't have to worry about one guy forcing 30 Mm -hmm. shots or 20 shots. Right. I think that that's going to help – I think that structure is going to help right. more kind of take an even bigger step.
1: I think that the only concern for me was I think you remember going back and I think that Trez is the perfect comparison because that's the one piece of feedback that he got, which was actually crap feedback because now you look at him and he's a center in the NBA, not yeah. a 3-3, three, three, so that was – that throw that completely out the window. Well, but the feedback that he got was he needed to improve his jumper, which he has. Okay, so let me... Let me I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. I don't want to jump in and be yeah, no, too no. critical fine, of that. Look, the NBA, the big men don't play if they can't shoot. That's the mm-hmm. bottom line. Yeah. Like, Montrez Harrell, the reason he plays he, is partially because they have to kind of respect his jump shot. Right. Because what he... What, You know, that's there now. You're right. When he came back to Louisville, like, Patino just kind of gave him the free range to shoot threes, and it was horrible. Right. But, like, if he wouldn't have come back and had that confidence and that ability to build that jump shot, I don't think he is who he is in the NBA today because he is shooting the ball. Like, he has to shoot the ball.
1: But uh, to me, like, that season worked out, but that's because that season you had Quentin Snyder. You got Terry Rozier. You had... same insane it, amount of talent. It, that, you that had Dangadell. Uh, it like, it, look, it was, it's
0: almost like an identical to this season mm, coming yes, up because you yeah, bring yeah. back your star player. You have a budding player in Sam Williamson who will be this year's Terry Rozier. Obviously, Rozier was a sophomore, not a freshman, but it's very, very similar games, mm-hmm. even though Sam mm-hmm. Williamson is 6'7". You have a center... And Malik Williams, who will be, it, it'll be a little bit different than Mango was because Mango was more of a bang down low, clean the glass up. Where where Williams will be more of a finesse guy, uh, but then you're gonna have a, another point guard who's very much like Quentin Snyder. He's way more athletic, he can score more, but somebody who's there to just kind of get the, the offense going and get the sets going. And your two stars are gonna who who are going to lead you. In terms of being able to keep up scoring wise with yeah. other teams,
1: mm-hmm. I think. Sorry to cut you off, Ethan. You know, I, I think my my biggest concern is going in with Wara. If, if that is the case, is just like listening to a press conference against like I don't know some some just like podunk team, with that they're beating by forty, and somebody asks you know like why you know do you think Jordan Wara stepped up his defensive intensity or something like that, and he says something to the to the lack like of well yeah we just want what's best for our players. And we want Jordan to be able to make it to the NBA. Like that's my worst nightmare because then that to me indicates that there's more of a concentration on him improving his game as a as a per as a player right. as opposed to him improving the team. Right. And that's mm-hmm. that's my biggest concern. I think that you can do that and make the team better. But that that is my biggest concern with work coming back. I know that's a very weird concern, but I think about like the the whole the logistics of players having to deal with one another. I think that Wara, if there was anybody that isolated themselves from the team more than anybody else, it's Wara. I think he's more of a, kind of a, seems like a more introverted guy, seems like a guy who's very focused on advancing in, in his career, as opposed to other players on the team this year who don't really have a future in, in, you know, especially in the NBA. They're more of, you know, role players and maybe maybe could play in Europe or, you know, play professional ball somewhere else. But, um, that, that, that would be my one concern. I'm sorry. Ethan.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was pretty much just going to say, um, I, I'm kind of at the point where if Jordan goes pro or not, I'm I'm just kind of indifferent to it because if he does go pro great, you know, good luck, you know, thank you for everything you've done. Go kill it in the NBA. If he comes back, great. Get, we're going to be awesome. Yeah. Like, but if we're, right. But and, if,
0: But if you're Mac, you have to tell him, look, if you're coming back, This is it. Like you got to lock in. Mm -hmm. Yes, because we. I mean,
2: we got we got a final four run to go on. Right. And and if he does leave, I think Mac's gonna go go get another stud. And that's what you have to
0: do, right? And so that's why for the last several weeks, you you know, you see Mac reaching out to some of these higher, um, you know, some of the the graduate transfers who are more talked about, more prolific, more you know, more of a you know big name who can come in and kind of be your Damian Lee. And yeah, Louisville didn't have scholarships, so it's kind of like, well, why is he doing that? It doesn't make sense. It's because he knew. Look, I'm gonna have a couple of guys probably test the waters. There's a good chance some of aren't coming back. I have to be prepared in the fact that if my best scorer leaves, that I have to be able to go out and get somebody who can step in and play right away. Because if Jordan leaves, you have a very, very large hole, not only in scoring but at the wing position, because they're already gonna be kind of uh, that's gonna be their one weakness if if VJ King does leave. Of you know, they're kind of their roster sore of not having a. a a backup wing who can come in and spell Jordan and, and keep up the scoring because I don't think Jalen Withers is going to be ready to do that year one right I think that obviously Quinn Slosinski would have to play year one which I'm not sure that right. that's going to be something that is going to you know obviously it's going to benefit him but I don't think that that's necessarily what you want David Johnson could be a wing but we don't think he's really going to be a great scorer Josh Nickelberry could be that guy but he's smaller at four. so if you lose Jordan uh, and again, even if you lose VJ, I think that that's the one concern on the roster is that you don't have the caliber of backup wing that you probably need. And if Jordan does leave, that's where Max says, all right, now I have to really go out and I have to get me a star.
1: Right. When my, I think my thought process, you kind of um, hit the nail on the head with this. I, I think that all of a sudden, War leaves, you might have Quinn Slezinski being a, a much bigger factor than we anticipated. I think that... Um, I, I, I'm not sure if the coaches have actually said this officially, but it seems like he's going to be a, a um, redshirt his first year. He is 17 years old, right? So he's 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 a guy who moved up in, in his class, um, had the understanding that he's going to get a year under his belt before he officially plays at U of um, So I think that could be an option too. If, if War leaves all of a sudden, you know, you might have Weathers and Slazensky have a bigger role. Uh, I, I think I like Jalen Weathers' game. Um, it, and, you know, there's a, there's a good track record with Andy, Andy Kettler, is that his name, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. just getting players into college game shape. Um, you know, you, you could look at – we could be looking at Jalen Withers in August and being like, holy crap, this guy – is going to demand playing time like you know he's Mm, 220 pounds now like he's a guy who can get into the paint like that's a guy that might have to
0: play yeah and i think for you know the next month we're going to be kind of on the edge of our seats because you know they're you know while we think and we feel comfortable as a fan base that jordan war is going to be back stephen enoch is going to be back things could change in in less than 30 days we could be talking again about having to replace nine players or, or filling in a roster with nine new players but the good thing about the way that college basketball works right now is players are literally entering the transfer portal every day. This is going to go all the way up until the season starts next year. And so there needs to be some faith in the coaching staff that if Jordan leaves, they're going to be able to either go out and find somebody who can step in right away and provide a scoring punch. I mean, I, I, there's a list of 50 people on the, or 50 graduate transfers who score double digits – you know, there's a, there's probably about five or six elite guys who are elite in terms of being a graduate transfer and being able to provide, you know, solid scoring year one. But there's guys, right? So Mac is going to be able to fill out that roster, but the decision that they would have to make at that point is, okay, do we compete, do we set up our roster to compete this season knowing that we've lost Jordan, maybe Steve, or do we say, let's go out, let's get us, a you know, another freshman, let's get a sit-out transfer, and let's start... You know, let's let's just take this year as a rebuilding, learning year. We we bring in our new freshmen, we get them kind of acclimated. Um, compared to all right, let's go get grad transfers and let's let's compete as if we're ready for a Final Four.
1: I mean, I think they look at this roster. I mean, even if you do lose Warren Enoch, I mean, you have experience returning. I mean, you're going to have a graduate transfer in, in Kimball who granted he still has to learn the system and, and learn how to mesh, but this is a guy who came in his freshman year of college and earned a, a captain position. So it, we're not talking about a guy who, you know, it's, it's not, and, you know, I, I love the guy, but it's not like a Chris Jones situation. It's not like a guy who's going to come in and it's going to be iffy in the locker room. Like, he seems like a guy who is kind of a glue guy. Um, the same thing with Sutton. Like, I, you know, you're getting your, a senior year of Dwayne Sutton. I mean, that's a guy who gives his all already – like, that's going to be a guy who's going to want it more than anybody else. Um, and then you have... I mean, I think Williamson and, the, and the Gahan, um and I think there's going to be a surprise player in, in this class. I'm not... You know, the guys that are kind of like 3-6 through six in this class. I think that you're going to have three legit freshmen who are going to demand playing time. So, even without Wara and Sutton and King, I think that... Um, excuse me. Wara and um, Enoch and King, that you're still going to have a roster that's formidable... I think you have a roster that you're still looking at, like, you know, Sweet 16 is definitely an, an, an attainable um, objective. Um, so I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that, Ethan. But I, I don't think it's just like a all of a sudden. I, I think that they have a backup plan. I think that they probably have a grad direct graduate transfer to in mind still. I think that there's other options out there still.
2: For sure. No, nobody th- – this, this ain't like last mm. offseason when people were – uh, not answering Chris Max phone calls. That's mm-hmm. not – it's the other way around this time. They're calling um, him. But yeah, they're calling him. Um, and when when you were kind of mentioning uh, surprise freshman, um, a lot of people forget about Jalen Weathers. I know you mm-hmm. were talking about him a little bit. And it's because he's kind of the least flashy of the, of right. the six. And uh, But he is super talented. Um, I, I saw him um, – scrimmage the team and, and the little young when he uh, was here on his visit and he was impressive um mm-hmm. he he's he can shoot it uh he's kind of a do-it-all type of guy um and he's a legit 6'8 um and i was just super impressed he held his own out there to me withers um,
1: reminds me a little bit of jordan warra what's your yeah. take
2: yeah yeah and, and and uh don't don't get it twisted either that uh uh, Jordan is uh, uh, Rick patino type player because he was a patino recruit. Chris Mack wanted Jordan nor when he was a high oh, school yeah. recruit. Yeah, uh, I mean he, he he jokes about how he turned him down at when he because he was at Xavier. He's like, can't uh, get away from me now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so and and we all know Chris Mack loves big versatile shooters. I mean Trayvon mm-hmm. Bluet is a great example. Um, and, and Chris Mag wants another Trayvon Blewett. Uh, I don't know who that's going to be in this class. There's plenty of, uh, different <clears throat> candidates for it. Um, I mean, look, you can look at a Josh Nickelberry. who's about six, four. He's a great shooter. Um, like we were saying, J- Jalen Withers. Um, and then, uh, I think, um, we were kind of mentioning, mentioning this as well. Don't be surprised if, uh, Quinn Cilinski plays next mm-hmm. season, um,
1: He's, yeah, he's ready to play to in college.
2: like I, yeah. I,
1: I don't think when you watch his game, I, I think that may, it would be more of like a Ryan McMahon role, yeah this this year. Yeah, for sure it wouldn't be like a you know, I don't think anybody looks at Quinn Slezinski for this year and maybe even next year and thinks that it's going to be a guy that's you know going for 10 and eight or anything like that, but he's a guy who can come in and situationally um, be effective right now. I, I think that mm-hmm. the coaching staff looks at him as a guy who they can kind of sit him out for a year get him some experience and he could potentially be a one and done type talent. I mean, he's, he's to me, he's that, he's that good. So Yeah. I mean, it, it, one and done as in like sit out a year and then his next year. Um, is that not what, what the kid for Villanova did that the year that they won the national championship?
0: No, uh, Mari Spellman.
1: Um, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The big
0: guy. Yeah, he did, but, but it's a little bit different Spell. I, I think there was some injury involved there. I, I mean, I can't even speak to that. I, I don't see, I think, Slazinski going to likely be a four-year guy. You think Just, so? Yeah, yeah, I mean he's a he's not not a high-rated recruit. Like, you know, there's a lot of schools on him, but that's not going to be the kind of talent that he is.
1: Right, but I, I think that he's a he's a three-star recruit because he's young. Like he he only has three years of
2: experience, and he's he, not. I think he moved up a year.
0: Yeah, and, right, and look, right. I think that he's a guy that would could benefit from playing, and I think mm-hmm. that he could be somebody that could help the team, but it would have to be that they lost two wings. Like, I don't think you play him yeah. when you – have. well, I think that – no, I look, I think that you do play him. Like, I don't think he re- – I don't think he should redshirt. I think that he should be there for depth purposes, let him kind of, you know, come along, get minutes as, you know, they blow out teams or in, in special situations. But I think that him playing is a very real possibility because of the need and, and the wing position.
2: When I see him – um, I I just think of a Wisconsin type player, like or or that just that huge right. like that lanky just sharpshooter that just is on that that you'll co- come across in the NCAA tournament or you play early in the season and they just light your team up and they're like so pesky and so annoying to play against and I, I think it's going to be awesome to finally have a type of guy like that uh, on our on our floor um, playing for us. Um, I I feel like I'm really gonna like Quinn. Um, we haven't really had a lot of six ten sharpshooters. I mean, right? Have we ever really? In, in a long, well, I mean, I mean I in a long time. I
0: think the easy comparison for him is Luke Hancock. Uh, obviously, he's taller than Luke Hancock. I think he's probably yeah. more athletic than Luke Hancock. But what he reminds me of a lot is um, which it's funny you say Wisconsin players. He reminds me of a mix between Frank. Kaminsky, Kaminsky and Sam Decker. He's got yep. Sam Decker's athleticism. Mm-hmm. He's got Kaminsky's ability to play inside and outside, shoot the ball really well from deep. Uh, I think he's. I think he's going to be a very unique player who will eventually develop into a starter because that's what Mac does with kids. He brings them in. They have minimal roles. You know, they're asked to thrive in those roles, even if it's five minutes or twenty five minutes. And as they go along, they develop and they become, you know, the the players that we that we you know, kind of that he produced Travion Blue at JP McCura. Like there's hey, no right. reason cancer yeah. was a really impressive right. one. But th- but there's not there's no right. reason that he can't become a JP McCura over time. Like yeah. he can't become right. a four year guy who becomes a star. And I think that, you know, maybe playing him his freshman year now is something that they really need to consider. Right. Um, so let's, let's kind of spend here. You know, we'd spend a lot of time talking about basketball mm-hmm. and, and deservedly. So I think that for the next couple of weeks until we know what goes on with Jordan and what we know is go- what we know about Steve and, and what happens with the scholarship, I think that we're going to continue to talk about basketball, but right now, obviously the closest sport upcoming out of the two is football. And there's been a lot of news and, and, uh, the last over the last 48 hours with the football program, um, we're in the season of, of quarterbacks and, and plenty of other positions transferring out in the, uh, after spring ball. We've, we've known that this time was coming with Louisville having their spring ball early. We know about the transfer situation. You lose 13-ish guys over a three-month period. But today they get huge news that Robert Hicks, the defensive lineman, former linebacker, former four-star recruit, and really the headliner of the 2018 recruiting class for Bobby Petrino, um, is going to return after putting his name in the portal. How big of a deal is this?
1: I mean, I think it's a huge deal. I mean, first of all, you think about the continuity with that class. I mean, I well, not not just that class, but w- with the team as a whole. Um, I think, you know, when you have a guy that comes in as a freshman and he basically starts, what, he started nine games this year. Um, Hicks? And, yeah. No, I
0: think he started, like, one game, if that. Hicks? Yeah, really, no, he didn't play. He didn't play a whole, he played he in a played, reserve maybe role. He played in nine games, Yeah, he, yeah, had, yeah. he had,
1: yeah. what, 24 tackles. Um, he... Hicks was a difference maker this year. So when you have a guy that comes in as a freshman, makes that kind of difference um, coming back, that's huge, number one. Um, and, and then number two to me, um, when, when I look at Hicks, I mean, Louisville has to have more depth on defense. So when you bring in a guy who was initially leaving, um, that would have definitely been a huge impact player this coming year. Um, I mean, all 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 of a sudden, you know, you're looking at this defense, and they have five or six really quality linebackers. They have six to eight, you know, really um, talented defensive line players. And Scott Satterfield has alluded to the fact that that the defensive line could be the biggest surprise of this team. And then you have a veteran secondary. I mean, look, I'm I'm we're not let's not you know paint this in any way, you know. Any way other than Louisville's defense sucked last year. They're statistically the worst defense of all time. Like that's it's not that's not even a joke. Like if they come out and allow 50 points to Notre Dame, it'll be the first time in college football history that a team has allowed 50 points six times
0: in a row. So yeah.
1: th- th- let's not paint it in a light sure. that that it's you know it, that it's anything you know better than than the worst defense in the country last year. But there's talent. And I think that the defense struggling last year was culture. I mean, you basically had two defensive coordinators had no idea what they were doing. Had a coach that didn't care about the defense. You had a, a head coach that, by all accounts, pretty much gave up his last season. So there is optimism um, with a player like Hicks, Hicks coming back because you're bringing back a, a four-star talent. You're bringing back a guy who could it, it very, very well play in the NFL one day. So uh, to, to me, I think it's it's you know you can't understate. Um, how big of a deal it is for him to, to kind of see what else was out there and say no, Louisville is a better option for
0: me. Yeah, and I agree with that last part. I think the one of the big things with this is is um, Satterfield and his staff's willingness to listen, right? Because we now know, you know, from what we heard from people around the program today, is that Hicks is not only coming back, but he's coming back in his original position. Mm-hmm. That's huge, right? That's a right. Pl- that's a player's coach making a decision right. of look we need our linebacker our inside linebacker position is thin like we would rather have him at a position where maybe he doesn't necessarily fit compared to what we're used to um then not we would rather that happen than not have him and Mm -hmm. i I think that was a a very very smart decision on their part and i think it's going to send some really big shockwaves through the the players in terms of trust and you could say, well, maybe that's the staff letting the players walk on them, and this is just the just beginning of the end. Sure, right? I can I can understand you coming from that perspective, but I think really this is more of a like we know we needed him. We had to kind of you know swallow our swallow our pride and, and set aside what we wanted to do because we think that this is a better move for the team. And I love that decision. I
1: mean, to me, it wasn't like I almost like this more because. Um, It could have been a situation where we heard, like, oh, Robert Hicks got moved to defensive line and it's causing issues in practice. To me, on both ends, it was dealt with the correct way. I think that Hicks said in spring practice, okay, let's try this out. You know, I think I'm a linebacker. And then after spring practice, he was like, look, this isn't working. I'm going to leave in the coaching staff. was like, okay, see you later. Like, this is our system. This is how we do things. And then, you know, Hicks kind of put his name out there, had some feelers. And then I think it was kind of a mutual understanding, like, you know, like maybe you do belong in linebackers slash, you know, maybe I do belong in Louisville. Maybe, you know, some feelings were hurt along the way. So I think that to me it couldn't have been handled any better because I think under Petrino that would have been like a um, – It's it, a, it a dead-to-me situation when right, you leave right. Petrino or Ross. It's different here. Yeah.
0: And I, I disagree. I think that um, – I, I think that, you know – He's gonna be an impact player, I really do. And I think that on their end, it made sense to move him because he does not he does not fit scheme wise what they do with linebackers. Their linebackers are smaller, they're faster. And he, you know, he's a smaller height guy, but he's bigger in weight, and he's not the fastest off the ball. Like, he is more of a kind of a Brian Urlacher type of guy mm-hmm. than compared to, you know, the more of the modern middle linebacker, which is smaller like than a more, Tyron Matthews. Right, 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 right. Which I mean, he's not a middle linebacker, but, you know, you get my point of saying that he is not the fastest guy off the ball. Like, that's mm-hmm. not where he's going to thrive. But I think the staff said, You know, you know, you want to leave, we completely understand, like, if you feel Mm -hmm. like you need to play linebacker, like, you know, we are more than supportive of you leaving and finding that out because this is what we do here. This is what we believe is the best move for our football team. They had a few weeks to kind of think on it, kind of, you know, go back to the drawing board and they say, you know what? Yeah, well, and we don't know if this is how it really went, but when it came back, maybe Robert presented the this, this situation of, I want to come back, and they say, you know what, that's fine, and Robert says, I want to play linebacker, and they're like, you know what, we need linebackers, so mm-hmm. let's do it, right? Yeah. I mean,
1: and he's a guy, too, I mean, he has a big frame, but he's a guy who can he can gain some speed in the offseason. Like, he's not just a, let's not make it out to be like he's like some 275, like – right. You know, like slow chunk, just like kind of moving across. Like he he's a he's a quick, speedy linebacker still for his size. Like he plays quick for his size. Um. So and, and there there's a reason why he was starting as a fresh or um, excuse me, he's playing significant uh, minutes as a freshman.
0: Right. but he but you know he did play he played a really big role in that Western Kentucky game. I think that's the one game that kind of sticks out. I think he had eight, eight or nine eight. tackles in yeah. that game. But he was sorely underused by the by the coaching staff mm-hmm. last year, and that was very 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 head scratching because the kid clearly has talent. Like he's a top 300 kid from ESPN. Like like the kid can play, and I think that the coaching staff saw that. They like I can't I can't harp on it enough. They knew that they had a need at that position, and they said, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make this work. And I think that it's gonna really in the long work in the long term, I think it's gonna benefit them both. Because I'm not even sure he would have been a good fit at defensive end. He's a, you know he's right. only six feet tall. Like mm-hmm. most defensive ends are six three, six four. Yeah. Um, so I don't even know if that made a whole lot of sense. But to have him back, I think it sends a very, very uh, good message to the rest of the team of look, we're supportive of you guys. We want to do what's best for our team, but we want to do best. You know, we want to work what's best for you guys as long as you're doing what we ask of you.
1: Right. I mean, I think overall it worked out as, as well as it could have because. To me, if I'm if I'm putting myself in Robert Hicks' shoes, right, I mean, he comes in, he's one of the top three linebackers. Like, he should have he should have played. To me, I think that he was worthy of playing more, getting more snaps than he got last year. So he's like, all right, this is whack, whatever, we'll finish out this season, our coach is probably gone. Then a new coaching staff comes in, they watch him, they see how talented he is, and they're like, oh, you know you're going to defensive line. Like, to me, I mean, like, if, if I'm him, like, that's got to be a subject of, of contention, like, you know, And now you're associating the entire program and university with, you know, like just not working out for you. Like two different coaches come in, um, I guess, well, you know, a whole two different groups of coaches come in and both times it's just not working out. So to, to me, for them to be able to kind of lure him back and for him to see that this is kind of maybe the best option for him, for the coaching staff to kind of agree to that. I think that's that's huge. That's a huge kind of I wouldn't say turning point, but I think that it's a huge win for them. Um, you know, kind of similar to the to um, when when Matt came in and he got some of the the more veteran players to stay from last year's team, kind of right. kind of a similar type situation.
0: Yeah, in this day and age in college sports, I mean, you see a new coach hired or fire, you know, you see your coach fired, and um, oftentimes there's a you know that term the mass exodus of players transferring and leaving. And I, I think the coach's biggest job all the time when they're hired is to re-recruit the players on their staff or the players on their roster. And I think that Satterfield and them have really done a great job of that. And I think that for the most part, contrary to what we see with these transfers, like I think the team is really picking up what he's putting down. Like I really do. And I think it's going to benefit big time. But when you see 13, 14 guys leave and, you know, I think a lot of the times you can kind of associate those, those people leaving with, you know, well, maybe the staff's not doing the right thing or maybe like, but at the same time, like players don't fit you know, like like Coach Satterfield said last week when he was on with Mark it's like we are fully supportive of players leaving if they don't fit here. And oftentimes yeah. that's okay like yeah. that happens and that's okay. Um but I think that the guys that are buying in are what we should be talking about and not the kids who are leaving because, you know, yeah, they could have been big pieces to the team, but I think that the guys that are sticking around, that are really buying into this this new culture change and are really putting an effort to turning the program around I think this is going to be a team, whether they win four games or whether they win nine games, I think this is going to be a team that we all love when we talk about them three or four years down the road because of the way that they fought back from the adversity that they went through.
1: I mean, 100%. I mean, and you know, there's still, I, I think that there's a tendency, especially with the new coach, and so much uncertainty for us to kind of overreact to every single move and every single rumor that you hear because... You know, there's a whole new group of people coming in. There's a whole new group of people who aren't used to the kind of communication that they have. So some of the stuff that you hear coming out of the program might not be um, necessarily the same stuff that you were hearing under Petrino. Right. Because, you know, you ha- you establish relationships with staff. They communicate information in different ways. So a lot of, you know, information can get lost um, along, along the way. So I think that there's a lot of, um, you know kind of panic within the fan base, um, within people around the program. Um, you know, it's just kind of going to be a wait and see thing. And But like you said, I think regardless, this is going to be just listening to Satterfield, listening to, you know, Dwayne Ledford, um, you know, Court Dennison. This is a fun coaching staff. There's right. fun personalities on this team. There's a lot of talent on this team. Right. And they're playing a fun, manageable schedule this year, but the expectations are, are low. So it's going to be it's going to be night and day from last year yeah. i think that's the most important thing right yeah
0: now. I, and the thing that i'm really excited about and i think we'll we'll start seeing more of it as we get into fall camp and you know it might even take until week 2 3 of the season when we when we get into those western kentucky eastern kentucky matchups but i think the resounding thing that we're going to hear it from fans and uh you know that we're talking about is okay this team has a lot more talent than i thought they did like the starting the starting groups of 11 on both sides are are much better than we thought returning, right? Because you bring – when you look at the, some of the key positions let, – let's not talk about quarterback for right now. We'll get into that in a few minutes. But when you look at running back, right, when you uh, when you look at wide receiver, when you look at um, – on the defensive side of the ball, some of the linebacker positions, the cornerback position especially, the defensive line – the defensive line group, the safeties, like you bring back some of the guys who um, really showed potential – to be good players under Petrino and either were out of place or didn't get the the opportunity to play. Like, we can go on and on about what they did wrong with that roster. Right. But I think we're going to be really surprised at how talented the first group of players are. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to run into and what's going to be the frustration of the season, I think, is that the depth isn't there. So when, when players get hurt, when you have to make, you know, lineup adjustments based off scheme, like – you're going to be relying on a Jadarian Boykin you're going to be relying on a Joshua Black on the offensive line like some of these freshmen who they kind of scrambled to put together at the end of the year who could right. be good players but probably aren't ready to play meaningful snaps in the ACC and that's where i think you're going to run into the issue of losing games over the season because you just don't have the, the the 83 scholarship players on your roster that you need to compete in the ACC
1: right i think that people will scoff at this but i mean i would not be surprised to see Louisville come out and like lead Ten nothing against against uh, Notre no, Dame. No, I don't.
0: I think the energy in that stadium is right. going to be so electric. If they get the ball first, I would. I if I, if I was a betting man, I'd put money on it. But, if they score the ball. I,
1: but in the same breath, I would say I could see them leading fourteen nothing and then losing 55-17. Sure, like because like like you said, you know, Notre Dame like Louisville has Malik Cunningham who is has elite speed. They have, um, you know, like players with with speed like like Javion Hawkins, like uh Hassan Hall, they have Des Fitzpatrick who who is an NFL guy, you can't tell me otherwise, you know, Seth Dawkins, like all these guys just on offense that they that we're talking about. But when you look at like Notre Dame, when you look at Clemson, when you look at Florida State even, those teams they have those guys three deep. Right. They so, have three Des
0: Fitzpatricks. Right. Is comp- or Fitzpatrick's yeah. No, yeah they have Patrick, three Des, Des is it Fitzpatrick's, Fitzpatrick's or Fitzpatrick's?
1: No, they have three Des Fitzpatrick's. Yeah. His, so it's not... His S- last S- name is Fitzpatrick. so the right, Fitzpatrick. yeah Fitzpatrick. So, okay, it's definitely yeah, gotcha. They have, they have three Dez Fitzpatrick's. They have three Hassan Halls. Right. But they also have, you know, other elite-level talent that, that Louisville hasn't locked up yet. Right. And so that's where I think you're going to see a lot of fall-off. I think you could see a lot of halftime leads. I mean, they could lead against some of the best teams in the country this year. I think that they have that kind of first-team talent. I really do and I think that the coaching it's staff a hot take Not, no uh, I don't think it's a hot take I mean I think that they have they have enough talent and they have a coaching staff that knows how to put people in the right place right um I think that you have Dwayne Ledford who's making lemonade out of rocks like at, at NC State so like you you have a lot of Gunter Brewer who's a guy who's coming from the NFL who you, you know who's take who's taken you know three four wide receivers and made them like all pro wide receivers like you have talented coaches. You have a really good mesh um, of of coaches on the coaching staff. You have a lot of guys who like each other, which is something that Louisville right. hasn't had right. with the same talent. Right. So, so you there's potential for them to, um, if they have the right mindset, come out and kind of punch some people in the mouth real fast, but then realize like, oh crap, <laughs> like right. we, like we you know like. Jawan Pass is still our quarterback, still inconsistent, or, you know, like, we don't have a tight end, or right. we only have eight offensive linemen. Or,
0: or, or we don't have a defensive end, that, or a defensive line that can get after the quarterback. We right. we don't have the ability to play elite wide receivers that wide. Like, we don't know the answers yes. to these questions, yes. yet we won't know until we see them on the field on September 1st. But you, you mentioned the quarterback position, and I think that that, over the last three or four days, has been the biggest talking point around the fan base here in Louisville. Specifically... Um, reacting to Scott Satterfield's comments last week on with Mark Ennis with Juwan Pass Malik Cunningham Evan Conley the freshman quarterback who's on campus early kind of talking about that quarterback battle and um, you know what he's seen so far and then now which I I kind of alluded to it earlier we're at the end of spring practice for all of the rest of the teams in the country who didn't do a spring game in February when it's winter right
1: yeah yeah but it's, it's been a it's been an odd offseason right been- right I'll give you that it was yeah. snowing at
0: Exactly, right. But now you are starting to see several guys come on the market, and there's going to be more guys. There's going to be starters that come on the market. Right now we're talking about four or five guys who have left high Division one programs like Ohio State, Penn State, Texas, Texas Tech. Like We're talking about some backups in these programs who are leaving out and – Uh, But I think it raises the question, and it's a really good question, is does Louisville still need to go out and get another guy to compete? Ethan, I don't know if you can talk about this, but Presley, you and I can if you can. yeah, Sorry, Ethan.
1: Yeah, since Um, it's technically
0: recruiting, I don't know. But um, um, Well, you can answer the question. Do you think they need another quarterback? You don't have to comment on players individually, but do you think they need another quarterback?
2: um, I got an article cooking up. uh, Should be dropping pretty soon about this, actually. Um, And... If you kind of read the tea leaves, or is it read in between the tea? How I think it's called? read, the, read tea leaves. the tea leaves. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. I had it right the first time. Um, never done that. If, yeah, man, you gotta read the tea <laughs> leaves. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but if uh, I don't want to speculate too much, but that's kind of what we're here for. So, mm-hmm. um, in the interview with uh, it was Ennis, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> they asked him about about quarterback. Um, I think if he still wasn't sure and if he was still looking to add. Another guy, like definitely, he was gonna add another guy, and they were actively looking for one, and which I'm sure they're doing the due diligence. But I think you would have given more of an answer like, oh, you know, kind of like what Chris Max said mm-hmm. in his in his press conference two right. weeks ago. The rosters are fluid; yeah, we're always looking, yeah. right? But Satterfield said, you know, I I feel pretty good about what we got actually. Jawan Pass had a really good spring. Uh, Malik Cunningham is super talented. And we're gonna we're gonna find a way to get him on the field. He, I mean, right. I think he may have kind of led on the fact that Juwan is the guy right now, and, mm-hmm. and Malik is going to be a, some type of receiver, punt returner, right. running back, right? Right? Um, and which is really good to hear because we just need a quarterback. I don't care who it is. Um, and because I mean, if we don't have a quarterback. We got big problems. Um,
0: and that was, you know, no, I'd say it's probably the offensive line that was more of the issue last year yeah, than it was yeah. the quarterback because I think that you probably would have gotten better results than eight, eight touchdowns and, and 20 interceptions or whatever it was that Puma <laughs> yeah. threw. Right.
2: I'm, I mean, Juwan,
0: I can't believe I just called him Puma. Goodness yeah. gracious, oh man. My. I'm going to oh, keep you that.
2: I've adopted your philosophy. I'm not calling nope. him Puma until nope. he.
1: I'm not gonna call him Puma. I mean, there's there's, there's a fire.
0: Yeah, not even. Um, he's now Jawan, pass of yeah, the Louisville back. No, no ill will much. towards oh, him at
2: all. This is this is a a challenge, like a like a like. Yeah, I'm not doing this out of like spite or no, no, uh, right, no. All right. I'm we like, called you I'm Puma, like, and then I'm you like, look, you know you played you know, like a house cat. On, so
0: I'm gonna call you. Oh. I'm gonna call you by your name until Taddy you. Daddy Bass. Yeah. Right. Daddy yeah, Bass. Right. And how yeah, about how your, about the bats internship, though? Right. I, I would. In I would like to see him on a baseball field. Like he Dude, looks like he, he can, like he could play like first can, base yes. or maybe even like left field or something. I don't. I don't know how big left fielders yes. are.
1: Um. So, but, anyways, going back to the grad transfer. Right. Thing. I'm <laughs> about to hop into a, a <laughs> um, dark hole baseball completely talk. Right Which one right?
0: of the Louisville baseball players would be the uh, football players would be the best baseball player? There you go. Write it up. We'll have it up in the
1: morning. Um. Yes, grad transfer QB. I think. should happen. Here's why. I mean, we've alluded to... We've heard the coaching staff, Scott Siderfield specifically, allude to Cunningham switching positions. And I don't think that that necessarily means that he won't play quarterback. Um, I think that he might be the most lethal at quarterback. I think what what made Lamar Jackson so lethal was the fact that he had the ball in his hands at all times, so he just had so many opportunities to to run the ball. The difference between Malik Cunningham... And Lamar Jackson besides maybe a little bit of talent level. But the main difference a lot of talent level. Yeah. But Malik Cunningham, I mean, let's not let's not, you know
0: No, I'm not saying he's the worst right. quarterback of all time, no. but there's a lot of things that Lamar could do with his arm that Malik just
1: and can't. And that's exactly what I was what I was gonna say. The reason Malik Cunningham is not as dynamic as Lamar Jackson was in basically the same offense is because he can't throw the ball. When you stack nine guys you couldn't stack nine guys on a box against Lamar Jackson. That's what made him so dangerous because you put nine <coughs> guys in the box and you get Jalen Smith one on one with Lamar Jackson, like that's six. Hundred percent. Mm. Like ninety percent right. of the time. Yeah. Right. That's that's six right there. Right. With with Cunningham, it's not gonna happen. No. It's like not. he right. can't he can't throw across the field. He had, he struggles throwing on the move. He struggles throwing screen passes. He struggles throwing, you know, more than twenty yards downfield. Granted, That's stuff that I think that maybe he could improve a little bit. But when you look at him, he's, to me, I think that his future is more of kind of a dual threat, kind of like Reggie Bonifont Right. I think that's a perfect example of a guy who started out as a quarterback, showed potential as a quarterback, but it's just a guy that you have to have on the field. Um, Seems like a good character guy. Seems like a guy who, you know, just wants to, to make the team better however that, that, you know, plays out. I mean, he's a right. guy who came off the bench six times last year. So, I mean, to me, with that being said, Cunningham probably not a factor in the quarterback competition at this point, which leaves Juwan Pass, Netley's leaves Evan Conley as, the, as your two scholarship quarterbacks. Right. If you go into next year with Evan Conley as your, as your quarterback, which I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but that's sending a message to the rest of the team that, like, number one – you know, I I I don't think I think that Juwan Pass has a higher ceiling than Evan Conley does, in, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I think um, you're spot on. I don't think there's anything and, wrong with saying that. And so when you have a team who's been led by Pass or who you know everybody knows that Pass has been training for this moment for three going on four years now, all of a sudden you just have a guy come in that's just Satterfield's guy. I think that kind of is screws up things. So basically. Right. Your only option is Juwan Pass right now. Right. So then you have Pass and Conley. You have to have Good a third point. option. I mean, you, you have to have somebody who can be playing behind Pass, who can kind of be pushing him daily. A guy like, you know, we, we mentioned Tommy Stevens already, I believe, but uh, there, there, there's plenty of grad transfer guys out there on the market, even if it's a guy that not, isn't necessarily going to come in and be guaranteed a spot, but a guy that can at least push him. Because I don't think right now. I think the reason that Scott Satterfield comes out and says Juwan Pass is our guy. I think that you know he you know was in a bad place mentally last year and blah blah blah. I think the reality of the situation is that's his only option. I mean, Evan Conley was you know playing you know low level high school football and as a two star recruit like what six months ago, five right. months ago. Right. So to to say all of a sudden that a guy who was not on anybody's radar. Whose only really power five offer was from Louisville, and that's only because the school that he was going to, all the coaches went to the other school. Um, not saying that Evan Connolly won't start a game at Louisville because I or won't play in a game at Louisville because I think that there's a good chance that he will. Um, but to, but to say that um, that the options right now are anybody but Juwan Pass would be a fabrication. And so to me, I think that you have to find another option at quarterback.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of things I want to hit on here. I I think the biggest thing is that, Ethan, unlike what you said, I think that the fact that what Satterfield uh, said and what he didn't say is very key here. So he Mm -hmm. was very praiseworthy of his guys, which you expect, man. These guys were torn apart last year by being switched in and out. Mm -hmm. Like Confidence right now is probably one of the most fragile things. Uh, but at the same time, like you can't, you can't be like, we're going to go with these guys and these are our guys. And then somebody comes out onto the market and you go get them and you essentially send the message that, look, guys, you are never going to play football for Louis- – like you're never going to be the guy at Louisville. And I think that that's where he's kind of walking a fine line right now. I, I think that what he has is good. I think that he's going to improve – you know, Juwan Pass or uh, Malik Cunningham, whichever one he plays, I think that they're they are really going to take a step forward, and and what we saw last year, because there's going to be a lot more attention to detail in practice. There's going to be a lot more time spent with a quality quarterbacks coach, which I cannot emphasize that enough. Even though we all know that Bobby Petrino was the de facto quarterback coach, but again, we we've heard everything about how Bobby was recluse and he didn't spend time like having the relationship with their coaches is going to be big. But but here's where I keep coming back to. The two guys, what they do, like they both don't have the the skill set and the, the fit that mm-hmm. Satterfield's looking for. They right. both do one of the things very well, mm-hmm. right? So Malik gives you your, your, your legs in that RPO, that run pass option, where he can really get out and make plays. You can really mix things up and do different things with them. And then Jawan gives you a guy who is – going to be able to pass the ball, right? He's going he, to be able to stand in the pocket and make, make throws. He can make all
1: the throws. I mean, to be totally honest with you, he can. He didn't show it last year, but he can make the throws. I'm not ready to yeah. say
0: that because I, I, I need to see what, what it looks like with a clean pocket. Like right. I, I right. We saw times last year where he would have the ability to throw – where he would have an open pocket and he would throw the ball at somebody's feet or he would throw it five yards out, right. five yards short. So I think that we need to see that. But what I think that Satterfield, like I'll put it this way, I don't think next year when a freshman quarterback comes in that Jawan Malik is going to be the quarterback. I think whoever they bring in next is going to be their guy. So why not get that process started now? Why not go out, find you a quarterback who fits exactly what you do to a tee? Because to be able to play this offense, you have to be able to run and you have to be able to throw. You have to do both. It's a, It's a spread offense that's predicated on run-pass option and being able to make quick reads. And that's not something that we saw either guy do efficiently last year. And, you know, I think Evan Conley is going to be a very solid backup, but I don't think a kid who went from having offers from Columbia, Brown, Appalachian State, Texas, Arlington, like, I don't think this is a kid who's miraculously going to become the stud of the the steel of the 2019 class and become the guy who steps forward and is your your leader. If anything, I think that that's Satterfield saying, like, this is our guy, like, this is who we recruited, Mm -hmm. this is what we want to go with. Uh, but to get back on Jawan, and not to be long-winded here, but Jawan reminds me a lot of Steven Enoch in the sense that he spent a year or two years in a system with a coach who didn't really have faith in him, didn't have trust in him, didn't help him take that next step and grow. And Juwan is now going on year four in the Louisville program. Like, that seems crazy to us, but he's now been here for four years. And I think that he's going to, for the first time, Uh, get a coach who is going to invest in him and spend time with him and help him to kind of take that that next step into his career. And then it's going to be on him to see what he does. I think that that's the bottom line. It's going to be on him to see what he does. And, you know, it could just come down to, like, look, dude, you don't fit. Like, this isn't what we're trying to do. Um we need somebody who's going to be able to run and throw the ball, and that's just not what Juwan is. Juwan's not slow, but he's, he's not a guy who's going to move the pocket. And then Malik, it's like, man, well, look, we think that you present a better opportunity as a threat out of the backfield, as a threat out wide. Like we're going to use you, like you said, Reggie Bonifine style. Um, but but that's where I think your need arises for a graduate quarterback, which is what we right. come back to. Like I think you have to go out and you have to find another guy to mix in, even if it's just a numbers thing. To have four quarterbacks, you have the scholarships available. Like we're not—I mean, you've lost thirteen guys in the last two months. Right. Like I don't think that the scholarship is going to be a big deal, uh, but I think that at the same time he's got to be very careful with the message that he sends to those guys because again, mm-hmm. I can't hit on this enough. If you bring in a court graduate quarterback, you have essentially told both Juwan Pass and Malik Cunningham you are not ever going to be
1: the quarterback here. Right. And here's the thing: one, the first thing you have to consider is that. Should we go in the direction, should Louisville go in the direction that Satterfield is, is hinting at, that Cunningham is going to be better utilized otherwise, not saying that he's not, uh, otherwise, not saying that he's not, uh, you know, an option at quarterback. Um, basically you're saying that Juwan passed your only option. So say he comes out the first play next season and breaks his leg. Like, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but like. You have to have depth in power five football, I mean, and we saw be- it
0: last year. You, you saw, you saw what happened. I mean, guys got hurt. You had to make, you, or you know, that you had to art. pull somebody. You had to, you, you know, you ended up with Sean McCormick playing quarterback at Louisville because you only had three. And it's no offense to him; he's a walk on, but that's what you expect on the field from a walk on mm-hmm. being thrown into a game against an ACC opponent. And t- in order to prevent that and ruling that out one hundred percent, you have to have four or five guys. And I think that that's what it boils down to, right? I, and yeah. and you don't bring – I don't. in my opinion, I don't think you bring in a sit-out transfer because there's just no point in doing that because you're likely going to bring – unless that you're sold that that's your guy. But you're likely going to bring in a freshman quarterback next year. You're probably going to be able to go out to some of these high three-star, high four-star kids and say, we have an immediate opening and we want you to play from day one. Right. And so I think that that limits what they do, and that's why I think the graduate transfer makes sense. And for me, we're going to see more and more guys come available in the next five to seven days. Mm-hmm. I don't want to rush into things. But I think that a guy like Tommy Stevens, who played in a spread offense, I think it just makes so much sense because he's already used to it. He's he's going into his fifth year of college. This is the Penn State quarterback who backed up Trace McSorley for three years. He almost won the job three years ago against Trace McSorley. He chose to stay. He you know he played like Malik Cunningham is expected to play this year, where he was he was a running back, he was a tight end, he did it all and now he wants his chance to be the starter, this is the perfect opportunity for a kid like that for one year to come in and really give Louisville a chance to kind of go further than you think they would because they have a quality quarterback, or so you think, because you really don't know because a lot of these kids are backups. Right.
1: I mean, I'm not sure if you saw the comments from Tommy Stevens' dad, by the way. Um, This recently just came out just a few hours ago that – um, his dad, you know, th- th- it was kind of rumored like he was in the grad transfer, or he was in the transfer portal, which indicates that he's act- looking uh, elsewhere. But his dad actually came out and said that it's a hundred hundred percent that he's going to transfer.
0: Yeah, and and yeah. I don't want to turn this into a Penn State show, and I don't want to yeah. spend too much time speculating on players that we don't even know if Louisville has interest in. Right. But for for the people who say about you know a lot of the the the, the skepticism on a graduate quarterback at this point is going to be well, why didn't he win his his job at his school? There's a lot of situations that play out, man. You saw what happened with Trevor Lawrence and Kelly Bryant last year at Clemson. Like it happens all the time, where the young guy has more potential and can, you know, can kind of do things, whereas the senior might be limited. And with a guy like Tommy Stevens, he got hurt in December, uh, missed the majority of you know the winter workouts and the ability to really kind of step in and submit himself as that starter at Penn State. Because if you go back and, and this is what I did earlier today, this tells you what kind of nerd I am. But I went back and looked at articles of kind of like we wrote last year with Juwan past like Tommy Stevens right. is now the guy. Right. And here we are 4 months later after an injury and after a spring ball where another quarterback kind of showed that okay maybe we should make this a competition. Mm-hmm. Senior quarterback says I've waited for four years to play. If I can't play here, if I'm not being named the starter right now, I'm going to leave because I'm not taking exactly. the chance of being a backup.
1: Right, and, what, and you look at a situation like that, and it's kind of the last thing we'll say about him because we have no idea if football going to Again, we, they ha, we have him. not heard
0: anything about any no. quarterbacks or any graduate but he players. he seems
1: like he'd be the best fit at this point from, from the guys who have said that, that they're leaving. And but that could at, change tomorrow. Right, and well, you, you brought up the Clemson situation. Trevor Lawrence was the best quarterback in the country last year. Um, maybe it's outside of Tua, but you look at the three the three best quarters three best starting quarterbacks last year, Trevor Lawrence backed up by uh Kelly Bryant. You have two Tagovailoa backed up by
0: Bravo, man. That did was you like that? that was good. And you didn't even oh, hesitate with that Tua
1: Tagovailoa. Two attack of especially for a guy with the southern accent who stutters a lot, that was pretty smart. And has
0: a nose that sounds like he'd been like right. stuffing stuff in there for like five weeks. Yeah, I'm
1: about to Take so much suit of that after this. Um, anyways, should have done
0: it before the show, that would have been fantastic.
1: That <laughs> would have been like Ethan after 24 straight hours of studying. Anyways, you got Tua, who is backed up by um, Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts. And, you know, and it was really flip flopped in both of those again. situations. And then Trace McSorley, who is the other All American right in, in the country and his backup, um, th- that, that's who we're talking about, right? Basically, the, th- the third best con- quarterback in the country last year. So anybody who says, "Well, he didn't win the starting job," and he didn't win the off season. The reason he didn't win in the off season is because he got hurt. So he didn't even play in their spring game, and that's why they decided to open it <laughs> up again. Right. So, you know, I'm just looking at quotes from his dad. He said, "Uh, you know, the reason he made the decision to come back last year is due to loyalty. He wants to be there, but unfortunately, he has to make a self selfish decision at this point and do what's best for him. What we felt like was best for him was leaving Penn State and exploring other options." So, and you're, and this is not the only guy. Um, there's guys that we have no iota uh, or we have no there's no hint at all that that they're they're interested in leaving that they'll put their names in a portal as well so but this is a perfect example of somebody who could wind up at louisville next year and all of a sudden your season goes from very questionable with you know you know one quarterback who Um, has had chance after chance after chance to prove himself and hasn't, another quarterback who can't throw the ball more than 20 yards, and then a freshman quarterback, Um, all of a sudden you're going to, the leader of your team being somebody who has played behind an All-American for four
0: years. Right, but at the same time, you know, if I'm playing devil's advocate with that, I know that I've kind of been on the side of a graduate transfer, but when you're talking about a guy like Stevens or you're talking about a guy like Matthew Baldwin from Ohio State, you're talking about a guy Mm -hmm. like Carter McLean from Texas Tech, um, what you're talking about are backups, and right. we were in the same boat last year. We thought that Juwan Pass was going to be an All-American quarterback because he was a highly touted recruit, and he wasn't. And so you never know with a backup. And but here's the thing: like if you ever are going to be in a chance to set yourself up and say this is either going to work great or this is going to fail, this is the year. This is your one year mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. this is the one year Satterfield can literally do no wrong. Yeah, they could win unless they go 0 12 if they go one if if anything less than two wins right so if you get yeah. three wins it's yeah. a big it's a big success because you have already done better so i think if you're going to take some risk and you're you're saying okay here's this kid he was everything that you want in a quarterback. He, you know, he played his role. He came in when we needed him to. When he was in and limited snaps and blowouts, he threw the ball extremely well. He ran the ball extremely well. He was smart. He was hardworking. Mm-hmm. He fits the mold. He's big. He's six five, two forty. Like he, he's everything that we kind of are looking for. If it makes even the slightest bit of sense, you go and you do it because it mm-hmm. could. If it can help you jump from maybe three to six or seven wins, that's a huge deal. And and, yeah. and not only is it a big success, but if you're Satterfield, that buys you at least two more years.
1: Well, I mean, think about the logistics of Louisville's offense with a quarterback who can actually read a defense and throw the ball. I mean, and I know that sounds like super. That's super overly critical of Pass because Pass is talented. He had his he had his moments last year, to to be sure. The first half of the Florida State game—that's what we go back to. And the yeah, Alabama, yeah, and, and against Alabama, I mean, he had against good teams. He played decent games, not great, but I think that he kind of came in with the expectation. Like I mean, like uh, like Colin Holba said on, on our last podcast, Louisville's quarterback. You, I mean, like the last. I mean, even going back, I mean, like. Hunter Cantwell is considered a, an average quarterback at Louisville.
0: Right. And then There's, you look at who's after that, right? I mean, you, you bring in – I mean, right. let's take away Justin Burke and Adam Froman. But you right. bring in Teddy
1: Bridgewater. You go from – I mean, you went from Brum to kind of like a weird couple of years. But even in there, you had um, Hunter Cantwell, like, like I mentioned. Right. You yeah, had Steph
0: on the fours before that. I mean, Teddy. Yeah, right. Teddy I mean, Lamar. I mean, like, Will Gardner was a solid guy. You, you I know, mean, Will Gardner was a top good. 20
1: quarterback. I mean, easily. Easily a top-20 quarterback. So, Louisville, to have a guy that just kind of seemed inept at times throughout the year, that's unvisited territory. Like, even when it was back, you know, we talk about, like, the the days of hell under Cragthorpe. They were still winning five and six games with with Froman and uh, Burke. And those were, I mean, they're nothing to write home about, but Froman and Burke were okay. Like, they weren't, you know, I mean, like... (laughs) No, <laughs> no, No, okay. No, I refuse right. to ever
0: say that Justin Burke or Adam Fromman were any good. I'm sorry.
1: I mean, that's fine. But, but what I'm saying is we— They were
0: about as good as you would expect from a crack door quarterback. If
1: you're a Louisville fan over the last 15 years, the season that Juwan Pass had was the worst season in, in the last 15 years. Yeah, I mean, I think that besides okay.
0: besides that, you look at, you know, again, not to beat up on these guys, but Justin Burke and, and you know, Adam and they did their best with what they had. They did their best with the coaching staff. But those were the worst three quarterbacks over a 10 year span and that's okay and I, I think that you know one thing that we really are going to be excited about it may be this year it may be you know I think it would be this year in terms of taking a step forward but when you look at what App State did they really got the best out of some you know average quarterbacks and not to say that Zach Thomas wasn't any good or that Taylor Lamb wasn't any good because they were both phenomenal guys who put up record numbers but those guys couldn't start at Louisville no uh, no. At least, not that I would think. I mean, maybe uh, now, but but you know what I'm saying though. Like the those 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 dudes don't have the talent that Malik and Jawan have and so to, it, it's kind of like the Chris Mack thing where we talked about last year with Chris Mack literally stepping into a situation at Louisville where he had his most talented team ever. Right. Even being a, a guy that went to the Elite Eight and Sweet Sixteen, Satterfield is a guy who has won a lot of games, and he is taking over a really bad situation, but. Every position group that he has at Louisville is far superiorly talented to what he had at App State. That's bottom line. There's no debating that. Yep, yep. There's no debating that. And um, and it's the same at the quarterback situation. And so you can expect no matter who the quarterback is, whether it's Juwan, whether it's Malik, whether it's Evan Conley, whether it's Tommy Stevens, whether it's grad transfer A, B, or C, whether it's they're uh, going to be better than what we saw last year. Dean. Dean James, yeah. Dean James. Yeah, James. Yeah, James. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. shout out to Good times, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Miss you, buddy. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that's the that's the bottom line is that um you know, they're gonna be better, but that doesn't mean that if you believe that a, a an option out there is, you know, going to help you win more games, which I, I think that, you know, it, obviously that's the biggest focus, but I think that Satterfield has to win some games next year that he that he should win. I think he does, because I think that there's gonna be a lot of pressure on fans that even if they go four and four and eight and they do better, I think there's still <laughs> gonna be pressure of like are we headed towards Craig Dwork 2.0? And There's, if you beat a couple of teams, like if you beat a Notre Dame, or if you beat a Boston College, or if you beat a Wake Forest, or if you beat an NC State or a Kentucky or a Syracuse, and you you are not going to beat those teams without a good quarterback, you're just no, not. No. And, and, but if you beat those, it's going to help. It's going to help him buy some time, right? It's going to help fans get more excited, even if they go four and ten. But they beat Kentucky and Syracuse. Like those those wins are going to help the fan base kind of rally behind Satterfield. And without them. We could be heading into year two. Not saying like he's on the hot seat or anything, but fans not really sure.
1: We've ran along on the quarterback competition, but I think the last thing I'll say, maybe then you you have something to add as well. That as far as quarterback play goes, they don't need a great quarterback next year. They need somebody who game manager. I hate that term. But they need somebody who... Well, and that's
0: what his quarterbacks have always been. I mean, that's what they are.
1: His offense is predicated on running. They run the ball 60% of the time. And they have elite wide receiver weapons.
0: And they have really good running backs. Yes, yes. yes.
1: So put your other players in position to succeed and then just have a quarterback who can... He doesn't have to put the ball in the money every time. He just has to get... I mean, like, Seth Dawkins is a guy where you don't have to throw a perfect ball to him and and he can bring it down nine times out of ten. You know, 2-2 Atwell is a serious weapon at wide yeah, receiver.
0: He's got weapons where if he has right. limitations at quarterback, but what nice. he has to do no matter what is he has to be able to find a guy who can do what he asks of them. Mm-hmm. And right now, in my opinion, I'm not sure he has a guy that has the combination yep. of both the arm and the legs that are needed to run the offense that he runs. And that doesn't mean that Jawan can't come out and be uh, you know, an okay quarterback and have a good season um or Malik can't be the guy and he you know that takes over as quarterback and makes some big plays and uh, and you know shows improvement in the passing game but if if those guys can't bring it all together like then then and I think that I think that honestly I think that Satterfield knows that by now I think that he has an idea of whether okay these two guys either alone or together playing two quarterbacks can help us kind of get where we need to go in year 1 then I think that you'll see them make it a move. I really do. And I think that that's what's going to end up happening because I'm not convinced that either one of the guys fit what they want to do. But while we talk about recruiting, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do want to talk about Louisville football recruiting because I think there's some interesting things to kind of bring up. Um, and Presley wrote an article that, that we published tonight um, that we hope that you guys will read on Scott Satterfield's recruiting and on um, the class of 2020. Um And while you know we we while they finished the 2019 class about as strong as you could, um, considering that they had you know what two months three months to put it together. I mean I know they only went into the early signing period with four guys, Um, but now that we turn our eyes to the 2020 class and we kind of step into Satterfield getting his guys and having a full recruiting cycle, I think that there is you know maybe if it's not now it will come in the next couple of weeks and months as we head into the season of why haven't they gotten a, a bigger name? Why do they only have two guys or three guys or four guys who are two or three star guys who kind of fit the mold? But like, Why has there not been this elite talent landed with so much space open with the likelihood to be able to play? And so my question is, do you think there's merit to that? Do you think that that's an okay conversation to have? Because right now there is no star in this class and when you look at the ACC ratings, and you look at teams like, you know, count out Clemson and Forest State because those are just going to be elite recruiting schools no matter what. They have a, the history that other teams are lacking. But when you look at programs like Duke, Georgia Tech, Miami, North Carolina State, North Carolina, North Carolina, who also has a brand new coach who has been out of football for several years. You look at Pittsburgh. You look at you look at uh, Syracuse. Like these teams are all ranked ahead of Louisville. And yeah, it's it's only April, but. There's got to be a little bit concerned about that, right?
2: Here's here's my take on this one. Um, <clears throat> I, I frankly am getting pretty uh, fed up with the whole uh, Cragthorpe 2.0 narrative. Um, because for one, the guy has not even coached a game yet. People need to relax. Um, and, and chill out. Um, <clears throat> I I have sat not Satterfield Cragthorpe's. Um, resume pulled up right now. Before he came to U of L, his best season was nine and four. Right. That's not not impressive. No, right. You've got a coach it, who's it was, won a lot of games. It honestly was not a very good hire if we're looking back. And I mean, well, clearly it wasn't. But if you if you look at the resume, I I'm one. I mean, I was in elementary school when we hired him, so I obviously had no idea who he was or what what was going on. But at the time that should have been was it a worrisome matter? I don't I don't know if it was were people not excited well I think I
0: like, know th- I think that there was a lot of excitement but I think a was, lot of it was the fact that they trusted Tom Jurch to go out and make yeah. a right hire to continue it, the trajectory up, up. up
1: to that point Tom Jurch was God like I'm, and yeah. I know that's that seems dramatic but like people yeah. were he seriously could have been like uh, Rick Bettinas gonna be coaching the football team now and people be like all right let's do it yeah. like well dead serious like <laughs> people people there was you know Nobody had to worry about any kind of,
2: like, there was no question to the merit of Tom Jurges' decisions. Like, it was just. Well, well, point being, Satterfield has won 10, 11, and 12 games. He's Mm -hmm. a winner. Um, He he creates a a winning culture. Guys want to work with him. Gunnar Brewer left the freaking NFL to come coach here. Mm -hmm. Um, Court Dennison left Oregon. He he is literally one of the biggest rising stars in college football right now. He is one of the reasons why Oregon just got the – I, I'm not sure if it's one or two, but basically yeah. the top-ranked recruiting class in the country. He could have stayed at Oregon and had a, got a big-time job over there, but no, he came back here to U of L. Um, and Cragthorpe was coming in into a freaking awesome situation. He he was bringing back a team that literally almost won the national title. I mean, we didn't lose really anybody. One play away from the national. One play away game. from the national championship game. Satterfield is coming into this thing with a two and ten team culture destroy. I mean, we all know the story. This has been discussed ad um, This is not a similar situation at all. There are there are not the same red flags that we have with Cragthorpe. Um, in fact, we're seeing guys buy into buy into Satterfield. I mean, look if you. I know this is kind of the cliche thing that that's been happening since he got hired, but look at the social media. I mean, the guys really do look like they're starting to buy in. And the ones that aren't are moving on. That's, I mean, to be honest, that's a good thing. Right. Um, they're, they're eating meals with the coaches. That was not happening a few months ago. They know where the coaches' offices are. They, right. They're happy to be there. There's a sense of, I want to play for my brother. I, I am willing to put it all on the line. I mean, there's a sense of pride again in this football program. Right. And that alone is huge um and, and like like we've been talking about in this show there is still a lot of talent on this team but the biggest issue is is that the ro- the roster is so poorly managed that um the team is so poorly put together there's so, there's just too many holes um so there there's a there's a decent foundation but but a lot of problems in o-line and defensive line and quarterback which are the three most important right. uh, mm-hmm. positions on the roster right. so um this is going to take time and patience um, Chris Mack was the, bar none, the best hire of the offseason in college sure. basketball. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he is considered the rising star, and I'm, I'm going to get to my point. Don't worry. Um, he is considered the rising star in college basketball right now, The probably the best coach that hasn't made it to a Final Four right now. Um, Agreed. He was striking out all summer long. In recruiting on
1: grad transfers, and yep. he
2: was the hire, the hire. We we all were jumping for joy, dancing in the streets when we hired Chris Mack. And so to to freak out the, that Saddlefield is not you know lighting the world on fire with recruiting yet. I mean we we just got to take t- we just got to let ride it out, ride the wave. The guy is not even coached his first game yet. I mean the credit to Marcus Maven for being the uh, first I heard say this. Um, you kind of need to see the guy on this walking down the Louisville sidelines in a Louisville polo. That that hasn't really happened yet. You know, mentally, mm-hmm. it's huge to see someone else in the sideline. Right, right. now, Louisville still kind of has the Bobby Petrino. Uh, cloud or I don't, I don't really know how to how to phrase it mm. um, well it,
0: I agree there's a lot more talk at least so far there's been a lot more talk about what Petrino did wrong yeah than rather about the future of Louisville football and I think that's because of how quickly things kind of happened down right. the season I think that fans are still trying to process all of that right. mm-hmm. so I I agree with everything you're saying I think that's spot on with the comparison of the two coaches I think that the recruiting. Um, the slowness of recruiting is, it could just be kind of the season that we're in. Uh, but but here's kind of where I you – know, again, I want to play devil's advocate on this because I don't want to be the fan who's like, we're going to win every game. We're going to get oh, – we're going to do whatever. That's no, no, I'm not saying it is all. you. But what I'm saying is there's a certain level of talent that you have to recruit at the University of Louisville. If you're going to compete with Clemson, if you're going to compete with Florida State, if you're going to compete with Miami, Virginia Tech – and I think that's what fans are, are wanting to see. Maybe I'm speaking you know, out of left field and just for myself. But when you look at the two kids who are committed, and again, I think that there's going to be a lot of wiggle room in this, in this particular recruiting class because you're going to have so many scholarships to take who you want, to, to take chances on guys who maybe don't have all of the power five offers that you, you would normally want and kids who commit to your program. But um, I think that when you look at the fact that we're in April – They've been, you know, recruiting uh, and they've been sending all these graphics out of we're in this city, and we're in this city, and you only have two commitments, both of which don't have a Power Five offer. I think that's where the concern kind of comes in of, well, why aren't why aren't some of these recruits who are making decisions who who are committing? Why hasn't anybody chose you yet? Like, why has nobody kind of put their faith and their trust in what you're pe- you're preaching as a head coach when kids are committing all the time? Like, and you know, we again, we're probably still a little bit too early to really dive into that. But I think that Presley's article kind of holds the merit of that right now heading into the season, and I'll let you speak on this because you wrote it, not me. Well, you put it – I'm the one that released it, but you wrote the article. I'll put it into words. Yeah, so – but I think that there is some – there is a conversation that needs to be had of how much longer can can he go without a star, headline, four-star, five-star guy in his recruiting class where fans aren't asking – why do you only have three-star kids with no Power 5 offers?
1: Right. and I think a lot of what we've heard, a lot of what I've heard coming out of the program is that it doesn't feel yet like Louisville has made the like the coaching staff has made the full transition yet to Power 5 level staff. And I think that the best explanation for that is that this staff had to kind of come in and kind of stated up. Like I know that might sound a little bit ridiculous, but they needed to the the culture of the team and the buy-in from the current players has to happen before they can recruit anybody else. And if you think about it as like say you were going to apply for a job, and I don't know how it is how it's been when you've applied, especially you Jacob when you've got gone to jobs, but a lot of times they'll sit you down with the, you know, some of the staff members that you'd be working alongside of And, you know, kind of like let you pick their brains about what your day to day would be like and so forth. And you're not going to land any, you know, high three star or four star recruits when they're coming in and talking to players who just got done with the Petrino cluster. I mean, we have heard directly on this podcast from players who were involved in the demise of, of Petrino. We've heard. Over and over again, from players and coaches who were involved, that it just the complete ineptitude and the complete just just absolute breakdown of this program. Right. Things have to be built up before, you know, if you were coming in to apply for a job, to go back to that an- analogy, would you go to a job if people came in there like, oh man, you know, we don't really get paid very well, the boss kind of sucks, like, you know, you know, the chairs are uncomfortable. I don't know, you know, whatever, whatever the, the case might be. There there was a rebuilding job, and I think that there was a reason why spring ball was so early this year. There was a reason why there was no spring game. There's a reason behind a lot of this stuff, and it's because there is a rebuilding of the culture, rebuilding of the brand, and that doesn't happen right. in two or three weeks. That yeah, happens that. In, in repetition. That happens in you know doing the same things over and over, creating habits, creating positive vibes around the program. So now, as other teams are wrapping up spring practice, you've got Louisville's coaching staff all over the country you know getting in players ears so yes they're late to the to the to the game but um at, at, at the same time um it, it, you have to you can't put the cart before the horse and I think just like you know Ethan you made the basketball analogy you have to be able to establish your brand you have to be able to make sure that this is your program before you just start going out and and just recruiting the most talented players. Mm. Um, The coaching staff has put a lot of emphasis on players having, you know, a 3.0 GPA or higher and, um, you know, just like little stuff like showing up on time. Um, Satterfield talked about off season, you know, workouts that weren't required um, where, you know, there's 60 plus players showing up when they're not even supposed to be there. So, there's a lot of stuff changing. There's a lot of positivity coming into the program. Um, I think it's just more of a situation where they really did have to kind of abstate it up because they had to bring what was working for them over and make it work in this program first before they can bring in. They will need to bring in that four and five star talent. Um, we can get into that maybe a little bit later on, but that is, before they can do any of that they have to make sure that it's a place that's going to be a comfortable landing spot for these for these other players who are visiting the Alabama's the Clemson's right. the you know in
2: other other elite schools yeah. um real real quick I, here here's where i think is a is kind of a healthy um bar or or, or standard i guess you could say um and it sucks to say this but it's just the reality where we are right now um <clears throat> right now um, for next season, I think a healthy over-under is to say four wins. Um, any, expecting any more is just a little unrealistic, if we're being honest. It is. and a, a little ridiculous, um, considering everything. They got um, waxed by Wake Forest, Boston College. Exactly. Everybody last year. Yeah. Syracuse, like exactly. you name it. And um, <clears throat> when it comes to recruiting, um, in my opinion, I think you need to wait until this staff is, you know, has a chance to establish the brand, to let recruits see them on the Louisville sideline for the first time, coaching in games, and let them and give them a chance to go through a full recruiting cycle, because, because, mm-hmm. right. and that won't be until 2021. So it's, th- this is going to take patience. Um, <clears throat> so in the in these fir- in this first class and this first season, I mean, maybe even the first two classes in the first two seasons really um we just need to let this staff do their thing mm-hmm. let and just trust and these guys that they're gonna that they know what they're doing and because if as as fans if we do anything else and if we f- you know freak out and overreact we're just hurting the program um and asking too much right and putting too much pressure on the job and making it like tennessee football where it's just impossible right because the fans freak out too much um so, yeah, he- healthy bar right now is, is four wins, you know, top 40-ish, 45-type class. Um, I mean, it could end up being in the 50s, um, but fans need to not, you know, scream the sky is falling when that happens because, like I said, um, they're st- they're still behind the curve in 2020 because, obviously, they just took the job just a few months ago while every other coaching staff in the country has been recruiting these guys exactly. at their place. you behind the eight ball. Yeah, two or three years. Recruiting class. Right? Um, so, yeah, this is going to take patience um, and time. And, and as fans, our job is to, you know, keep showing up to games um, and keep supporting these guys and not put immense pressure on this staff to where we're just, we're just going to be hurting them. Um, I know we're not Nebraska football but I think a great example is is them this past season. They literally went what one 11 eleven, two and ten, kind of like we yeah, did. Yeah, they started like 0 yeah. six, I think. Yeah, and their stadium was freaking packed, and they and they just killed it in recruiting, and, and it looks like they're gonna get turned around. Um, we need to strive to be like that. Um, we we got to be there to support these guys because if if they're if they're busting their tail this whole off season and buying in and you know. And they're going to take their lumps. And if we as fans um, you know, don't show up and quit on these guys, that would be a damn shame. Mm-hmm. Um, so right, like I said, right now our job is just to come out and support them and to go through the lumps with them. Right. And,
1: and I think to kind of wrap up this conversation, mm-hmm. the biggest – if you're a Louisville football fan this year, in my opinion, the biggest thing that you can – the most important thing you can be is self-aware. Um, I think that – when you have Teddy Bridgewater, when you have Lamar Jackson, when, you know, you get a few big wins notched under your belt, when you're expanding the stadium twice in ten years, um, you know, when you have Charlie Strong's and Bobby Vitrinos when when he was, you know, at his best, you know, the expectations get a little bit out of hand, but in reality, Wolf we'll has to realize who we are as a program. And traditionally it, it was a not even a power five program. They're still new to power five. There's, we're still making an, an adjustment to what it's like to have a down season in a as a Power 5 team. And I think uh, I, I wrote about this um, before, but I mean, like, the biggest, one of the biggest realizations that I had that, that set in was last year being so pumped up for the season, having a chance to, you know, compete with Bama in the first game. We drove down through the night to the Alabama, to the Louisville-Alabama game, thought we had a chance, and then I remember – in between the third and the fourth quarter, so they played Wobbles like state song or whatever theme song. And keep yeah. it keep in mind, I, I think you were at the game, right, Ethan? I was, yeah, that was the day. the thing that set in so deeply for me playing Alabama first game of the season, Uvel was down like fifty one to seven, I think. It was yeah. they were getting pummeled. Mm-hmm. And they play some whack-ass version of my old Kentucky home like it was like some like country version of my old Kentucky home and everybody's just sitting there depressed and all of a sudden dan 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 literally 40,000 people on their feet Alabama cheerleaders yeah. bring out this what is it 18 national championship flags Louisville has three BCS bowl games ever like yeah. Louisville has doesn't have as many 500 seasons as Alabama has national championships like that's that's put that in perspective yeah. for a second and you have the whole the whole freaking stadium, like there's on one side there's little fans depressed, like I just want this to end. It's really hot. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and there's and about
2: then, half as many little fans as there were Alabama. Yes, I and mean, maybe a little and, more, but that was the most humbling moment I've the, ever had as a sports Ever, fan. ever, and, ever. And, and
1: it was like almost like gave me chills, like almost wanted to sing with the Alabama fans, yeah. like roadside roll Like the whole like the whole thing was like mm. so intense. But that's how like that's Alabama football and we were Louisville football. So like that, that's kind of like what makes it set in for you. Like even like, like even if you want to compete with the Clemsons of the world, like the tradition that comes along with that. So the biggest thing, the most important thing if you're a Louisville fan this, this season and going forward, maybe for the next five to 10 years is self-awareness. They had the momentum going in because of the outstanding recruiting classes and the great job that Charlie Strong did going to the ACC. Um, I think that it was for if you're a Louisville fan I think that it was a bit unfortunate because it set a bad example a poor example of of what they could be as as a football program because you had Florida State was like at at their pinnacle right as Louisville came into the conference but you kind of had some teams that are traditional powers kind of on you know on their way down a little bit aside, outside of Clemson and the ACC am I wrong about that No, not I, at all I, I don't think the ACC has been super Super strong. So it's all about just self self awareness going into the next few seasons because um, th- we have to give we have to give this coaching staff a chance.
0: Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I think that there is definitely going to be you know a grace period, but at the same time. I, I agree with your 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 statement of there's needs to be some self awareness but when you look at what Louisville has at its disposal it is the it is it matches some of the big name football programs mm-hmm. in the country and you pay a coach as much as they pay a coach to do um to do big things and to grow the program and I think that we're going to get there that's the bottom line I mm-hmm. think that it's going to be a few years there's a lot of work that needs to be done there's a lot of roster you know pruning that needs to take place there's a lot of recruiting changes that need to be made there's a lot of staff you know turnover things like that that are going to take some time mm-hmm. and just getting control with the players is going to take time and I think that that's okay but- so you know, I think that as long as there's promise and there, there, you know, as long as there's potential shown and there's the ability to be able to to show where you where you grew and you got better, that that's what we're gonna be looking for. But that concludes the end of uh, episode number four. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, you can find us on Twitter at the Big Red Louis. Uh, you can find myself at Jacob Lane underscore BRL. Presley at Meyer underscore Presley, and Ethan at Ethan Sprolls. Uh, and online all the time, pumping out great content at BigRedLouis.com. Make sure that you subscribe, uh, follow, download uh, the podcast, uh, and we just thank you for your continued support and continue to listen to our show. So uh, that'll be it, and we'll talk to you guys next time.